Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 2, entitled The King's Road. Uh, uh, they're, do- they're doing a lot of legwork setting stuff up here. A lot of people Anytime going a lot of different King's places. Road, it's implied that that's a lot of legwork. It is a lot of legwork. I mean, even across the narrow sea, there's a lot of legwork. I would rather sail across the narrow sea than go from the wall down to King's Landing. That's a fucking <laughs> hike, man. Yeah, it's a lot. That's a yeah. lot of miles down bad road. It sure is. Uh, Daenerys is putting in a lot of legwork. She's on top now. Apparently, mm-hmm. I don't know. A lot of legwork. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so if you didn't know, the King's Road is the road that connects kind of north and south. It, it, it ends at the gates of Castle Black at the, at the wall, and it begins uh, right outside King's Landing. But it's, but it's like a main street of a city, right? Like, at some point, it just basically tapers off to nothing. Yeah, like, like in, there's, there's Meridian points. Street becomes, like, 31, and it's right, just kind of... sure, sure. Like, as you get out of the city, it's just, eh, you know, it's yeah. a road. It's, yeah close yeah it goes it uh i'm not saying in between winterfell and uh castle black it's uh some kind of four-lane highway no it's just basically like worn tire tread areas like sure. for for the carriages and, and whatnot sure uh but yeah that that's pretty cool to see um why don't we get right into the recap before we do I had I had a major um uh, factual correction that Aaron oh, W. Boy. wrote in said, No, I'm just listening to your podcast to rewatch a season one, episode one, and you said the northern scenes were filmed in the Scottish Highlands. You've just defended a whole nation. Not one scene in Game of Thrones has been filmed in Scotland. Northern what? Ireland is the Game of Thrones territory. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, well, uh, suck at Scotland. I mean, at, at one point, I'd like to say, Well, that's like. You know, you confusing Georgia for Tennessee, but you got you know they're nations in their own right, so respect. Also, Aaron W. Sure. Uh, Aaron worked on the production. She uh, is visible in a few frames of season six. Huh. Uh, a, a shot in Winterfell that I can't really get into without major spoilers. Okay, but uh, Winterfell still exists in seasons. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert! <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um. It's renamed to Springfell because turns out the winter is not coming and uh, <laughs> right. the Starks were wrong all these years. Uh, so that's it's a shocking, shocking turn of affairs. But thanks for setting us straight, Aaron. I did not mean any offense. Yeah. Did not mean to cause any more oh, civil man. unrest in the United Kingdom. <laughs> no, they don't need any more of that. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, okay, recap time. We start off with the Dothraki armies riding across the plains, and Jorah stops to give Danny some horse jerky and tell her that the world will be destroyed by grass. And then she kind of spots Drogo, and uh, Jorah reads her face and says, it'll get easier. She's tender. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
you know, I, I wonder, like, later on, she has a little trouble getting off her horse. I wonder how much of that is Drogo and how much of that is just riding a fucking horse well, I mean, across the plains for miles as a little girl. C- certainly if you're being raped on a nightly basis and you're a virgin, right. uh, getting getting up on a horse and then riding for God knows how many miles yep. a day is not going to give you any time to recover. So she's in a very unenviable position. Absolutely. Uh Right, so then we go right over to that. She has trouble getting off her horse. Viserys is talking with Jorah about taking over Westeros. And, um, God damn it, Viserys. <laughs> uh, and it kind of gets into why Jorah is here. Apparently he's been punished by the the northern lords for uh, selling poachers that he found on his land off to be slaves. Yeah, silly the ideas that. This, the Ned Stark has about slavery and its morality. and yeah. You know, something that Viserys clearly doesn't agree with. Like, and that's... (laughs) Sure. It's such a great scene that shows how far he misses the point. Like, Jorah doesn't feel... Like, Jorah definitely wants to get back in uh, the uh, Westeros, but he's appropriately shameful of his shameful conduct. Yeah. And Viserys, like, you won't be punished for no such nonsense. Just makes Jorah feel like you are going to be a terrible king. Yeah, they're really setting Viserys up as... A shit. Just a, a dirty shit bag. Just, yeah. just you know, he's got the cleanest, whitest hair, but he's the filthiest, shittiest soul. He is. Shit encrusted. All right, anything else, or should we move on to uh, Winterfell? No, you. It, I mean, we're supposed to, I want to point out that, you know, um, if we were doing this completely blind, like we're pretending to do, that I think one would wonder what would cause a very noble... You know, we, we've we've kind of by proxy right, Starks yeah. been introduced to these Northerners as they're kind of like the good guys, right? And mm-hmm. what would this guy's obviously proud, present, carries himself with this nobility. Why would he do such a thing? Yeah, does he need the money? Yeah, like was it a? I mean, it might have been a fuck you to the poachers. I mean, that's not something. That's still. not. Some, yeah, it's true. I mean, he did say they're poachers. Clearly, yeah. they they weren't. Uh, you know, exactly upstanding tax paying citizens, but still so, so, sold into <laughs> slavery. Uh-huh. Uh not not great, Bob. Um but yeah, you're supposed yeah. to wonder how how did this once proud man uh be brought so low that he's now being this shit encrusted latrine souls lick spittle toady kind right. of guy. Yeah. Uh so then we go to Tyrion, he w- who wakes up in the kennels. Uh Joffrey comes over and or someone comes over and insults him. Is it Joffrey who walks over and says something about these aren't the bitches you're used to? Or yeah, this? these are prettier bitches okay. than you're used to, Uncle. Which right. number one? Fuck you, dude. Wrong. I've seen Ra- yeah. Roz is is the finest of bitches. Yeah, you're just Joffrey. factually wrong, Joffrey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Tyrion rolls deep and rolls well. He does. Uh, Joffrey hasn't been to see the injured Bran yet. The the what they think is a dying Bran at the moment, right? Uh, because he doesn't care, and Tyrion slaps some sense into him. Man, this was made <laughs> into a hilarious gif on on Reddit. Was that it if you good? hate Joffrey, it was a great thing to just sit that they just made it into a seamless, just endless slapping of Tyrion to Joffrey, just just never ending. <laughs> they they, right. they stitched these three slaps together very very well. And there's a lot of reason to hate Joffrey in this episode. Sure, yeah, we didn't. I mean, we're. At first, we're like, man, this seems extreme. Like, yeah, yeah he's a shot, he's a snot nosed little punk prince, but mm-hmm. wow, this, is, this seems dangerous <laughs> and fool and, and foolhardy behavior. Which it's it you know it still is, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, as as a prince, and it looks like maybe the eldest prince, uh, mm-hmm. he's certainly in line for that throne. And the you know the hound warns him he's going to remember that. So yeah. like, 
you better watch yourself, man. This guy's sure. going to be king one day, and you don't want to necessarily have him on your bad side. Yeah. But I also thought this just gives an insight into Tyrion's character that I, I, when I was watching this, I was thinking, like, man, because uh, everyone walks through life, and to, to some extent, I mean, I'm sure there's the, the, the confident, undamaged people, uh, but I'm not talking to you. You just go on and, and, and live your badass life with, with ki- kitten kisses and sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> But I, I think I speak to a lot of people that, you know, you go through a lot of your life thinking that people don't like you or wish you poorly or you're afraid that they won't, you know, won't approve of you. And it it's, it's must be kind of strangely freeing for a guy like Tyrion to just walk around and know without a shadow of the doubt that everyone's going to judge me and think ill of me. And that kind of frees him up to give zero fucks. Well, also being royalty. <laughs> I mean, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like if you're just some shit healed peasant but even in yeah like you said if i was uh if as he says later to john snow right. if i was born a commoner they'd have left me out in the snowbank to die but yeah. alas i was born on casterly rock so i mean he's even kind of acknowledging the privilege that he has but i think it's also illustrative of his character that he just doesn't care because sure whatever he does he's at, at worst living up to people's expectations of him and at best he's uh you know, providing himself cover so that he can take him by surprise with his, uh, right. you know, quite formidable mind. Yeah, he he essentially says that he's turned this to his own advantage in some ways. Right. Last episode to John. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's keep going. Ty or Tyrion shows up for breakfast. He delivers the news to Cersei and Jaime that Bran might actually live, and then he talks about going to the Wall. Finally, Cersei leaves and uh jamie runs the idea of putting bran out of his misery past Tyrion, but Tyrion's like nah nah i hope he's gonna wake up yeah it's uh <laughs> like we as an audience understand okay jamie and cersei do not want bran to wake up sure but this overt like we should just kill him we yeah. should just put a pillow over his face and be done with it right uh that's a little far for me yeah and you're one you're, you're left wondering because Jamie and Tyrion have this interesting exchange at the end where yeah. he's like, you know, sometimes, brother, I wonder whose side you're on. And he's like, come now, brother, you wound me. You know how much I love my family. Right. But it's delivered in such a way as like, I'm, you know, you could say it's like, well, look, I'm interested in pursuit and I want to know the truth of the matter. And I, I suspect you guys are involved. And but you're never really sure. It's like, does he mean that legit? Like. They they set up even in this scene where he's kind of dismissive of his sister and he says some ironic things about her. But it seems like him and Jamie are tight. So, like, what does family mean to Tyrion? And he also said that every dwarf yeah. is a bastard in his father's eyes. So they lay that little uh, track as well. And we know that a lot of parallels were drawn to, to John and Tyrion in the first episode. Sure. And we've seen how Kat thinks of John. And we continue in this episode especially yeah. to see how... You know, he even though he's had a fairly good upbringing and and Ned's been a, a good dad to him and his brothers or half brothers um, have treated him well, that there's still a little bit of uh, maybe jealousy, resentment. You can't. It's help. mostly from Cat, <laughs> mostly from Catelyn. But even at that scene where he and Rob hug it out, like after Rob leaves right. him, you see John look like you son of a bitch. If if I your dad had squirted me in your mom's belly instead of some other common winch, then I would be the Lord of Winterfell, and sure. I wouldn't have to be taking the black. And, I mean, like I said, I don't think John's a, a, a bad guy for thinking. That's entirely human, natural things to think, but it's definitely on on his face. Yeah. 
Okay, Cersei goes to Bran's room where she finds Kat sitting over him. She tells this sad story about losing her own child and says that she's praying for Bran. Uh, so, okay. At the, at the end of this episode, after all is said and done, Kat says, hey, I think it was the Lannisters who tried to kill Bran. Uh, cer- certainly we know Jamie and Cersei want him dead, so he can't speak of what they've done. Do you think there's any chance that Cersei is going to this room to kill Bran? And Kat happens to be there, so she can't. Hmm. That's a good point. Like, she's just going to smother him right that, then that's and there? certainly, um, this, I mean, from what we know of Cersei's character, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I think from what we already know of Cersei's character, to avoid spoilers, this seems wildly out of character for her. Right. Like, is this story just made up? I've never even thought of the idea that she might have thought of a convenient excuse to get into the room. Yeah. And it also ties in nicely with the assassination attempt later when the man comes in. It's like, you're not supposed to be here. You were supposed to look after the fire like everyone else. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's, that's a pretty strong possibility. Could be. No, it's just what Because was the idea of, of Cersei just showing up to give comfort to cat, the cat I guess, doesn't I mean, seem like it fits in anything that we know. Yeah. I mean, maybe she feels some sympathy with having lost her own child, but she freaking caused this. So, like, sure, that's what I'm saying. And man, I don't even so know that I believe. To... I don't even know that I believe the story. Okay, this could just be a bullshit story. Fair enough. Yeah, it could be just a cover. Oh, oh, you're here. I was going right. to murder your son. Right. Well, let me tell the story. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so John's having a sword forged, and Jamie comes up and starts talking about uh, cutting a man. Essentially, have you have you ever fought with the sword before? And he's like, oh, yeah. And Jamie's like, well, I mean, like, swung it at a real person. And he just stands there I'm looking I'm deadly dumb. against wicker dummies. <laughs> I, like, okay, this is, this can't be considered a spoiler. And if it is, write to me. Get on Twitter and, and shout at me. Uh, someone in the later seasons told John to stop acting with his mouth open, Yeah. With a slack-jawed Jon Snow. Oh, you think he's slack-jawed? I think he's a little huh. slack-jawed in these early seasons, yeah. Because for as young as he is, I'm, I'm, I, I came away impressed with some of the... Like, I wasn't looking at his slack-jawed yokel stuff. I was looking at more <laughs> right. of how he was able to kind of, um, you know, be pensive and glowering and, and all that, but not... Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that becomes a trope, right? Eventually. It's, it's a point of, of, of comedy, but sure. I, I... You know, for being a young actor, I thought he was doing a lot of complex... Um, uh, showing a lot of complex emotions, and also he is. It's not bad. He just needs to close his mouth. Okay, he's giving you know stop chewing gum. Uh, also, I bet what? it is fucked up, like sword combat. You know, like, oh yeah, sure, yeah. That you, yeah, you cut him. I mean, it is that's the uncomfortable fact that we're all made of meat, right? You know, <laughs> and enough of this red juice leaks out of us, we die. It's yeah. crazy, and we know that Jamie's killed someone. They talk about him killing the king. Yep, at one point, he's at least killed one. Right, uh, so he's familiar with it, and I guess actually Joffrey's more familiar with it than John is at this point because he slices up that butcher boy. Mm, yeah, at least one cut. He scratches him. <laughs> okay, fair. He's as familiar with killing a man as a kitten. Dices any, him any up. Kitten. Uh, uh, yeah, I also like the the taunts about the walk because John tries to retreat yeah. into his you know nobility and this honor, and you know Jamie's like, oh yes, it's such an elite force, and if if and if not, well, you know, good news, it's only for life, like. Burn. Right. Total burn. So smarmy. I mean, this guy... That's the thing. Like, this is John trying to make his best life for himself, that he of the options he has, and Jamie's just pissing all over it. Yeah, and I wonder, like, 
how much animosity is there between the Starks and the Lannisters to begin with? I know, like, they're grooming Sansa as Joffrey's wife, but, like, Ned has a very different view of service at the Wall, right? Certainly. I mean, most later on, he's nor- like, most this northern- is noble, and the Starks have been defending it for generations. I mean, I think even the Northerners are skeptical at this point about the White Walkers. That's something that happened. Sure. Eight- I mean, that's the way we talk about... I'm trying to... I don't want to piss anybody off, but Noah's Flood. Or okay. the Tower of Babel. Right. You know, it's like, that's that's a story, and we can get some morals from it, maybe, but, like, no one seriously believes. Uh, some. Out, some. Outside the guys There's Bingen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's Bingen. Uh, he, he's the, uh, the what is it? What, what's uh, Ken Ham? Is that the guy that runs sure. the Creation yep. Museum? Bingen. Uh, <laughs> Grumpkins are real. The Torah man's face off. Um, but but even the Northerners, but the, the Nor- what they do protect against is wildlings, which is, you know, King's Landing, they they don't give a shit, whereas that's a real and present danger in the North. These, these you know, quote-unquote savage peoples from the North uh, yeah. getting through the wall and, and raping and reaving in the Northern villages. So And it's almost like the Lannisters take the Starks and their protection for granted. Well, sure, sure. Even though, you know, it's it's an important function, and if they didn't have it, you, you'd think some of this bad stuff from north of the wall would come across. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, so, yeah, it, it seems a little foolish. Their they're opinions of the Starks, I guess. Right. And they they just take, I mean, if you compare King's Landing to... I mean, I think it's... It, it, it's not often I think about this, but, like, Winterfell as a partial ruin. Mm-hmm. This is the greatest house in the north... And they are that their finances are such that they can't fix their castle right. when it breaks, <laughs> which is <laughs> that is I mean that that tells you a lot. And the fact that like a fairly minor feast mm-hmm. is a concern to the stu- like to the their their maester and their steward, like you know yeah. how like they're going to have to cut some from the horse budget. Yeah, or like some we, shit. We, we did this we do this once a year. We're going to be in some serious trouble. Like I, it, it's, it's instructive jerky. to see how you know the the divide between the rich and the poor in Westeros and the contempt right. of same. Right. Yeah. I mean, the contempt between like you get the impression that none of this would be happening if it weren't for Robert and Ned's relationship. Yeah. And the, they go way back. So. Yeah. Uh, but nobody else on the Lannister side seems to be on board. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, John goes to see Arya, and she tries to show him the tricks that she's taught Nymeria, but Nymeria is not cooperating. And he gives her a sword, and she names it Needle, and they kind of have a, a little goodbye hug session there. This scene is one of the reasons that Arya is a fan favorite. Like, this yeah. scene is so goddamn cute. Nymeria helping yep. her pack, and... She's saying, you know, mother made me repack my clothes, or was it the Septa? Made me repack because I didn't properly fold it, and you see her just wadding, like she's just wadding the clothes into tighter balls. She doesn't give a shit. Uh-huh. And the fact that she's got this affection for her half-brother and doesn't see her, you know, yeah. doesn't treat him any different, and they have this special relationship. Like, there's a reason why everybody rooted for San- uh, for, for Arya and yeah. kind of hated Sansa, because the difference yeah, in them I- is pretty stark. Later on... Pardon the pun. F- fuck Sansa. I, you know, I do not like her at this point. Sure. Certainly. Uh, anything else you want to say about that scene? Or let's no, keep su- going. Super cute. All right. John says goodbye to Bran now. Um, and just as Ned walks in, Kat gets angry and tells John to leave because <laughs> he's disgusting to her. She uh, she's is... just angry at the world right now. Yeah. And it's coming out. It's She's expressing her true feelings more vocally than she probably would normally. Right. Well, that these is... A woman in her position, these are things that she can say to her bastard, her 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 lord husband's bastard, but she couldn't say to her lord husband. Like, sure. 
you, you can tell a lot of this anger and resentment and confusion is aimed at Ned. Right. Like, how, mm-hmm. how did you go and, and, and do this to me? And all the, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's unspoken, but, but John's kind of a proxy yeah. for those feelings. Uh, and you get the idea that most of the time she keeps that in check, but with Bran lying there motionless on the bed. And, and also... For, for a month? Yeah. For a fucking month? Yeah, these, yeah. The, and, and Ned... Ned sees all this happen, like his son being just completely savaged by right. his wife, and he just sits there like, oh, better you than me, John. You're taking the black. I got no such protection. <laughs> hey, I'm not getting in the middle of this. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like their whole... It's hard for him to to really explain, like to justify why he would not want her to be... But that's Resentful the thing. They're, they're, John, they're, right? setting, they're setting up this mystery of like, yeah. what the fuck actually happened? Because all of this stuff, everything, all the interactions with Ned are to have us asking the question of why did a man that we uh, of Ned Stark's caliber do this thing? Yeah, who's his and mother? Why does he act so? Fu- I mean, like this is yeah. not spoiler material. This is stuff that the, ep- the episode's begging you to ask. Sure. What did? What is the deal here? By you saying this is not spoilery, people are going to think it's spoilery. <laughs> Well, that's mildly interesting, Jim. Okay. Your opinion. Uh, yeah, so he John leaves, and then Kat reminds Ned about how he rode off 17 years ago and came back with another woman's son, and he sticks to his decision to honor King Robert's request, despite Kat being sure that she can't handle it. She's, she's freaking out a little bit. Uh, and then we go on to Rob, who sees John off with some light conversation and a hug. Mm-hmm. Uh, just good scene between brothers there, you know, half brothers, um, who grew up together. And then as they depart Winterfell, Ned tells John that he might not have the Stark name, but he has Stark blood. Then John asks if his mother is alive and knows about him, but Ned says, we'll talk about it next time we see each other. Then they both ride off in opposite directions. One's, one entourage is going north, one entourage is going south, and never the two shall meet. Mm-hmm. Uh... Anything that's, else you want to say about... And I thought that's kind of interesting how visually they're headed in opposite directions. Yeah. Um, and, and and thematically, that's that's kind of that's kind of nice. And it yeah, it's interesting to... because if you if you if you look at this in a larger context, like Tyrion's there too. Mm-hmm. The the path that he's on, the path that Jon's on, the path that Ed and the Lannisters and all that they're just they're they're, they're not. Con- what's the opposite converging? Disconverging. Yeah, disconverging, yeah. Differing. Um, uh, diverging. diverging. Diver, there, there you go. go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I thought that was that was really cool. And, yeah. you know, just the emotion. Again, the show's, be- you know, what the fuck? Like, we've never seen Ned react this much to his son being paralyzed, and he's getting all teared up and choked up talking about John's mother. Must have been a hell of a woman. Yeah, I mean, this is his kind of final moment with, you know, this half of his family, right? Like, sure, he's going to be with Rob and right. Sansa and Arya, but that's it for John, and that's it for Kat for a good long while. Right. Uh, maybe forever? What is the ki- So what's entailed in being the Hand of the King? How That's a position for life, right? Well, I feel like it's uh, you you serve at the King's pleasure. It's kind of like sure, a cabinet sure. appointment. So. There's nothing the King can't do. He can dismiss you if yeah, you like. Yeah, and, and, and the other thing is, if you're dismissed from the Hand, is that because you have to take the black or face execution or just the King wants to... Like, there, I, right. I, I, I honestly don't... I honestly don't know um, okay. how that would work. 
But I don't think it's the same. Like you don't take vows to not father children, obviously, or give up your lands or titles or, or whatnot. Okay. So, so you know, at the very least, he's going to be gone for years. I'd say. I would say, yeah, yeah. I and mean, you know, especially since this isn't there. You know, there, there's no airplanes in Westeros, right. and we we just talked about what a long distance voyage this would be. So I know um, from watching later seasons that it's about a month's travel. Yeah, between now what, King's Landing and now what I don't understand is. I would think that if this were an ordinary circumstance, what I would think would be that Ned would bring his family with him to King's Landing right. and leave a Castilian to hold Winterfell in his name and his stead. Mm-hmm. And then when one of his sons come of age, then he would be, you know, he could go and, 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 and kind of be the Lord apparent of, of Winterfell. Or maybe he even leaves his You don't think Rob's oldest. of age at this yeah, point? Yeah, I kind of think like... that maybe that's, that's at, at this point, they'd leave like Rob and Theon up yeah. there to kind of run things and bring the smaller children to court with them. That feels but, right. But Bran being paralyzed and not, well, not paralyzed, but uh, being on death's door and not mm-hmm. being able to travel makes this rift. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I, I think that that's, in any normal cir- circumstance, Bran, you know, uh, Ned just brings his wife. Right. I don't see why not. Um, so Robert has stopped in the country for a minor feast and he reminisces with Ned about their female conquests, but things sort of take a more serious tone when Robert mentions Ned's bastard mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ned's bastard's mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he produces a letter that says Danny has been married, and he worries about Dothraki armies um, and the war that he sees coming. He's uh, he's definitely concerned about this, although I get the, the feeling that he's really pissed at the Targaryens, and so... Anytime a Targaryen's mentioned, he's like, "Oh, there's still a war to fight." Yeah, I mean, it, like, it 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 brings back a bunch like, of bad you, memories. You don't His... want to go to Thanksgiving and bring up like Trump, for instance. Sure, don't go to a feast with Robert and bring up Targaryen. Yeah, yeah, you're just going to get a bunch of sputtering and turkey flying <laughs> out of mouths, and and yeah, yeah, for sure. So, and he, but he's also got some real like some of this is seems old tensions based on you know. Um, Rhaegar Targaryen running off with his betrothed and and raping her and and doing all the other terrible things that we're led to believe happened. But also he says, you know, there's still in some in my own kingdom that call me a serper. And one of the things about Robert's Rebellion is King Robert decided to pardon a lot of the people that didn't support him as a way to kind of reunite the realm. The consequence of that is you've got a lot of vipers laying in the weeds with you know the right. poison fangs and he's like you know wow sure she's this and that but you know what happens if she lands in some yeah. you know targaryen friendly section in the kingdom then what, what which you makes do? you wonder maybe how the hand of the king died that john aaron guy at the beginning sure. of the first episode sure uh was that was that retribution was that mm. what was that i mean some people seem to think the lannisters had involvement yeah uh namely cat's sister yeah, and I think that's also we're led to believe that by showing them kind of skulking around John Aaron's body and discussing what this means and right. who knows about it and yeah, so I think that that's definitely what what uh, the information's pointing to. Okay, um let's go over to Drogo banging Danny. And I I I don't think that term is inaccurate. He's just banging away. Aggressively fucking. Uh <laughs> is what I have in my notes. Okay. I say banging, but all right. Uh, she's taking some weird comfort in the dragon eggs. Yeah, she's, uh, she's got like just... her eyes on the prize. Like this is like I'm. She's almost like this. I. 
somehow these things are bringing me closer to my birthright. Right. I and think is what she's kind of repeating as a mantra in her mind. Yeah, I don't I don't really understand why they're bringing her any kind of real comfort here. It's just like maybe maybe it's like, well, I'm doing what needs to be done for my house, for my family, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And I mean, these are the sig- these are know. the petrified sigils of her house that she's looking at, so Right. Okay. Uh so then we go to the crew at the wall or the crew headed to the wall stopping to eat. And Tyrion teases John about a couple of uh, his new raping and thieving brothers. Mm-hmm. And John asks why he reads so much. Tyrion says basically it's because he can't fight and he still needs to do something for his family. Right. Uh, I couldn't help but notice the disparity between Robert's feast and this shitty little fire with maybe a stew cooking. Sure. I <laughs> like like you why want to talk poverty. That? Why- like Winterfell is like this far below King's Landing, the Night's Watch is that far below Winterfell. Right, but they're traveling. A Lannister is traveling with them, right? So, like, oh. what does this say about Tyrion? Like, I, I well, I mean, he said that he wants to see the world, and he's kind of more of adventuresome, and and like, I think that, um, I mean, you actually, you actually, you actually make a good point. Like, um, I do think also that we're supposed to imply that Tyrion's kind of well provisioned personally. Like when he gives that skin of wine over to John. Well, that's probably all he's carrying is wine. Yeah, that that's that's like probably he'll eat grumpkin meat if he has to. <laughs> but <laughs> that's probably bring the, me the wine. That's probably the best Dornish wine one can lay their hands on. Yeah. So like I feel like yeah. that that's you know the things that are important to Tyrion. He's got his books. He's got his fine clothes. He's got his drink, and like he he might be just the same way. Like I go camping. Like yeah, I detest being oh. filthy and whatnot. But like a couple times a year, I go and decide to be grubby as shit. And yeah. sleep in a fucking cloth tent on the ground because why? I don't know. I like it. And I think that's Tyrion. He's like this he's adding okay. some color. He's sharpening that brainstone sword of his. <laughs> all right. And I'm, I'm Cersei. I avoid it at all costs. Sure. Sure. What must it be like? Okay. So you're the person who's tasked with carrying the the re, uh, the medieval reading materials for a voracious reader on a month long trip. Ooh. How much must that pack weigh? No Kindles back then. No, no, it's books and a month's supply of books. Mm. That's got to be heavy. I'm sure yep. they pack it on a horse. Their version of Audible was just uh, paying some literate dude <laughs> a couple of the silver stags to read you to sleep. Uh-huh. <laughs> and turns out it was Roy Dotrice. Yeah. He was alive back then, so yeah. Faster Roy. <laughs> 1.25 speed. <laughs> Here's another stag. Uh, okay. The other thing we, we're supposed to get is like John is just yeah. so easily bristled. Like he is just yeah. a fucking walking open wound uh, and a raw nerve. And yep. you got to think this is uh, if he's going into the company of uh, this is nothing brilliant that they dis- that, that, that the, the the Night's Watch has fallen so far that they the the bulk of their um, recruits are people that have committed capital crimes and that want yep. to be pardoned. Yeah, just like Jamie said, this wasn't shit talk from Jamie. This is a fact of life that that John, you know, might not have uh, acknowledged as true. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's interesting how you know different how how well they're portraying the differences between the Northern folk and the people from King's Landing. Um, yeah. They the people from King's Landing definitely have the gift of gab, and they're able to 
you know, talk through basically any situation and get the best of someone in conversation. Right. Whereas John just sits there with his dumb mouth all the way open. Yeah, all just, he's got is platitudes. He he retreats right. into like, well, I'm going to be in this proud institution and you're a fucking Kingsguard and you're a Kingslayer. It doesn't make any sense. And Jamie's yeah. like, whoosh, whoosh, snicker snack, you're, de- you're done. Yep. You're, you're verbally bleeding on the floor. And Ooh. Tyrion does it even better. Yeah, b- both of them do. It's brutal. Uh, so we go over to Master Lewin visiting Bran and Cat to kind of request that she do her duties as Lady of Winterfell here. She's not interested, so Rob comes Fair in enough. and he volunteers. Uh, he then tries to talk his mother into leaving Bran's side to tend to her other children when he notices a fire outside, leaves to check it out, and a man comes into the room and tries to kill Bran, but Cat stalls him just long enough for Summer to jump in and save the day. Can we talk about the... Because because I think you're right on the edge of dismissing Cat here as some weak, you know, stereotypical mother yeah. who can't get her shit together because her in, in contrast. But just when you're at that point, she grabs a Valerian steel oh. dagger in her bare fucking hands. Yep, and bone on bone keeps keeps. I mean, that's that's really intense. It is, yeah. I mean, it really makes one pucker up to to come to, to contemplate the strength of will that it required to know that you have to do this to defend your son. Uh, yeah, and you can see the, the relationship developing not just from the Stark side with these direwolves, but also from the direwolf side. Yeah, like, direwolf summer, came and fuck shit up. Like, yeah, jumps right in there to save Bran and then lies down, mouth covered in blood. Yeah, <laughs> on. Can we just talk about the fucked up thing here, yes. which is. A wolf laying on a comforter made of wolf pelts. Yeah. Uh-huh. With blood all over it. Like, <laughs> it's really weird. Like, if I said, okay, I made you a comforter, Aaron, and here it is. It's human skin. <laughs> well, see, I think a dire wolf would be like, that's a wolf pelt. I'm a dire wolf. Uh, like, if, okay. you, if you made me a gorilla skin rug, I'd be like, well, you know, gorillas are endangered species. It's kind of a dick <laughs> move, Jim. But I wouldn't feel like yeah. I'm wearing human skin. I'd be like, okay. But I, I wonder if the dire wolf, like, it's just a fucking wolf okay. pelt. You bring a dire wolf pelt, then 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 we might have some problems. But this is right. a fucking, you know, what, you call me a wolf? I'm a dire wolf. Don't leave the dire. Do you think they're going to waste any part of Lady? You think they're going to use... <laughs> they use everything but the bark. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's I mean, true. they've got all these like that's wolf true. pelts on their. Next cloaks. week, when we see Lady Pelt laying across uh, Brand, that's that's where Summer starts saying, "What the fuck?" Right, just like <laughs> crawls up on the bed and lays his head right next to <laughs> Summers or to to Ladies. Yeah, mm, gross. Anyway, uh, I, I really do love the the dog with blood all over its mouth. There, I, but, yeah, it's kind of adorable. And the way he like uh-huh. kind of, uh, but yeah, like now Cat is seeing ferocious. like I was really resenting these beasts, but uh, yeah. might be onto something. The other thing is uh, with this assassin. So this is a second um, attempt on Bran's life. Sure, um, maybe the third, depending on what you think Cersei was there to do earlier. Uh, it would fit within their goal to kill Bran to keep Bran quiet if mm-hmm. the Lannisters sent this assassin in. And that's certainly right. where Kat goes with it once she right. goes to the tower. Right. Um, I don't know that that's not true. That that seems like a good guess to me. Sure. Uh, we don't know of anyone else at this point who would like to kill Bran, do we? Why would anyone want to kill Bran? John? Maybe John? I mean, that's the thing, the fact that it's like <laughs> such a focused attempt. Yeah. And a rather clumsy attempt to cover up a track, like... You know, but then again, the the risk of ruin from them uh, 
the risk of ruin from from brand waking up is pretty high too so mm-hmm. yeah all right uh danny's servants are pampering her and one of the servants tells a story about where drogon or where dragons come from uh spoilers it's the moon and they drink the sun mm-hmm. <laughs> uh the others don't <laughs> sure, believe why it. not seems plausible uh season five when the dragons bust out of the moon it's it's a really good scene uh, the others don't believe it, and she sends the moon egg-hating servants away and asks the other one if she can teach her how to make Drogo happy because she tells mm. a story about how she came into that knowledge, which started with sex. Sold into sexual slavery at nine, and Danny's like, oh, my God, and she's like, well, of course they waited three more years before I bet it. And I was like, oh, well, okay, of course. that makes yeah. it better. You're 12. Right. I want to point out in the books, Danny is 13. <laughs> right. She, <laughs> which might in the show, be... definitely looks nowhere near 13. Yeah, like m- which might be a little nod to the realities of the books that, uh, you know. Right. Yeah, it's shit's fucked up, man. Sure. Like, uh, Rob is like 14, John is like 15. Like, these are all the adventures of, uh, these are essentially Harry Potter stories with rape and incest and, <laughs> oh, and hangings and flayings uh, and dismemberings. All right. So Harry and- Potter and the Flayed Man. <laughs> That's book eight. <laughs> Rollins went went dark. Uh, Tyrion and John and Benjen reach the wall, and John has the stereotypical dumbstruck, slack jawed look. It's on huge. His face. It's, it's huge. a big wall. Yeah, I mean, certainly for you know, it's not. I don't know that it's all that impressive for like modern day construction. We could probably get that done. Yeah, uh, we'll find out in about eleven months. But uh, John has never seen anything like it. And for medieval construction, pretty sweet wall. See, I, was, I had this elaborate joke that I wasn't going to use, but now you've, you've, you've begged it. Uh, <laughs> that this was like 8,000 years ago. Uh, King Trump, first of his name, got in a bickering war with the wildlings. And he, he's going to build a 30-foot wall, but the wildlings kept refusing to pay for it. He kept making it 10 feet higher. <laughs> and eventually they paid for it. And eventually there's an equilibrium yeah. reached, yeah. Uh, anything else to say? It's just a real quick scene. It's huge. Okay, Kat investigates the tower that Bran fell from and finds a golden hair. Then she calls together every... She's, she goes full Winterfell CSI with she this really shit. She really does, yeah. 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 I, I'm i not... I guess I know what caused her to go up there, the assassination attempt. But, man, to she find a hair to, among that all that crap up there. It's, uh, is, yeah. And then she goes to Master Lewin, says she wants a full DNA spectrum analysis. He's a DNA what now? <laughs> right. Uh, Maester just, they don't know about that yet. Like I said, that's the fascinating detail of Winterfell, that it's a partial ruin. The greatest house of the right. north that lives in a partially ruined castle. Yeah. Uh, then she calls together everyone she trusts and tells them she believes the Lannisters are involved in the attempted assassination. Sideburns backs her up. I don't know this fucker's name. What is this guy's name? Oh, God damn it! I knew it Big, until, um... long, twisty, ties his fucking sideburns under his chin and acts like it's a beard. Yeah. Did he... Did he get like scarred on the face? Could he not grow a beard? And just <laughs> I just think a that's pretender? His, I think that's just a style. I know the Rory, uh, I, the the Rory f- fellow that shows up at the end that Ned has him take uh, Sansa and Arya to bed is his son. Uh, damn it! I'll think of it here in a minute. Okay. Anyways, uh, that that guy sideburns backs her up by telling them that the dagger is Valyrian steel and dragon bone. Too nice for the assassin. And Cat decides she's going to King's Landing alone to tell Ned about it. Roderick. Roderick Castle? Ca- Castle? Roderick? Right, okay. yeah. That's uh, who that guy is. And, you know, he, he's going to go with her on this journey. And then she puts a really shitty dream catcher over Bran's bed and leaves. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be a seven-pointed star with some really shitty representations of the different gods. 
And it looks like the stranger even is just a desiccated turd. <laughs> right. <laughs> Literally, like, what? <laughs> it's an owl pellet. Yeah, sure. No one really knows what, this, what the stranger manifests himself at. As, um, you know, rewatching, my biggest problem is why does Kat have to go herself? Why does Caitlin Stark have to go herself? Why can't... I don't know. And she's like, well, there must always be a Stark in Winterfell. Like, all, why do you, I mean, you brought Roderick here into your confidence. Mm-hmm. Why not just send him? Do you think Ned's not going to believe him? Right. Why would you leave the safe confines of your, why not send any of your men-at-arms? Why not send you Theon at this point? Yeah. I mean, Theon, I guess, would be the most suspect, um, since he's not really a Stark, and he's essentially a hostage of the house. But if she suspected him for for not being loyal, then sure. she wouldn't have told him. She right. wouldn't have invited the, him to this powwow. Right. So yeah, I did. I um, I don't know. It would. It's it's there. It's probably something that we're supposed to understand about the character of her, and that now that she knows that you know she's just not mourning an accident, but there's active attempts in her family's life. She's gone in a full mama bear mode and has got to see it through herself. I mean, that right. could be. But it does bother me that it just seems like. It would have been infinitely better to send a much lower profile. Just send one of Ned's men down. Like, uh, you know, uh, Ned forgot his fucking beard brush. Right. Got to have his number one beard brush or he's not going to be able to brush his beard. Uh, Roderick, go down and send it. Like, uh-huh. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, it It is, I guess, kind of important to realize how much time is passing here because you could be forgiven for thinking it was a couple days, right? Yeah. The dire wolves are the first big clue. Sure, because they're although they say, "Look how fast they're growing." Maybe it's a few, like maybe it's a week. It's not. It's not a fucking week, man. There's no miracle wolf grow that they're feeding. Why these not? Dogs. It's a fantasy world. <laughs> it's a fantasy world. Who I, says? I'm just saying that, like, it's consistent with my knowledge of what puppies look like from the time they're like a week old to the time they're like twelve weeks old for them to be in this kind of growth pattern. Right. I, I think it's I think tell it's me, supposed to be a clue. Tell me about the dire wolves uh in in our real world and how they age. <laughs> well my, they my point is just the sun and they drank a mountain and that's why they're so big. <laughs> it's pretty it is easy known, Jim. It's known. It's, it's pretty known. easy to think that two months haven't passed. Sure. Which is apparently the amount of time that uh it's gonna take for all this to happen. Gee whiz Game of Thrones fan bitching about the ambiguities of passage of time. That that's that's conversation that will get that'll that'll, that'll only be <laughs> right. they'll, they'll get that ironed out in the first season, won't they? Yep. <laughs> uh, so Danny's servant demonstrates how to uh, finish a man. Yeah, she she's unsure what that is, and then goes, "Oh, whoa, okay." Uh, Danny's unsure it'll work because it's not very Dothraki. But later on, when Drogo comes in the tent for some bone time, Danny tries out her new techniques, and they seem to work. Apparently the key to uh, conquering a cow is hip isolations. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. I mean, flipping. there's a big difference between flipping this 90-pound girl and flipping a 250-pound beast that's of a man. That's the technique. That's, that's, that's a technique that technique. you learn it's when like you're 12 jiu-jitsu. years old and being trained in the arts of love, sure. Right. Got to hip check a guy off you. <laughs> sure, it's all about the uh, pivot point. Yeah. And uh, Drogo uh, discovers the sublime pleasures of cowgirl-style sex. And yeah, he does. That's it. Look. He already knows the pleasures of walking around outside completely nude. Because he just <laughs> walks in his tent stark I naked. Know, Why does. did Dothraki wear clothes at all? Like, if that's okay. You don't want your dick to be sunburnt. I, right, okay. Right? It's, and sure. It's, it's one of those things where it's a reinforcing thing. Like... You know, you know, you no one wants to do accept the first dick burn, so you just keep it, and it stays lily white, so it's even more sensitive to right. the sun. They remember uh, 
You got to ride on Cal your Cal Redbone, who, <laughs> who ended up. You can't ride a horse with a sunburnt dick or chapped ass. No. Like, it's one or the other. You got to have a chapped ass, a sunburnt ass. You can't have both and ride a horse. Fair enough. So you got to protect the uh, sensitive horse riding parts of your body. Yeah, and I, I guess they're coming uh, together through the universal language of sex. Mm-hmm. So uh, making them into an actual couple, I this feels a little weird to me. No, all I of mean, this like f- forcing her into consent is real fucking weird. So it's weird because yeah. So as the show would have us, what the, so the show would have us say that she was a slave sold into bondage and raped nightly by this guy, the savage yes. guy. And that she seeks advantage over him to control him. And somehow, at some point, you know, minor spoiler for upcoming, they're going to fall in legit love. It is, it is weird. Oh, so you're reading her as doing this for her own advantage? Well, I mean, I think at number, number one, she wants the, the nightly rapes to stop. Well, yes, of course. Yeah. But, but getting raped and just saying, well... I guess I like it. No, is, I don't is think not, that is not a way to do that. But she says, teach you to make the cow. Ha-. I mean, I feel like that this is for purposes of manipulation. I, okay. I mean, that's how I it read could it. Be, it certainly. could be wrong that she's like, you know, I might as well try to get something out of it. Like, and it could even be, uh, you know, this, the, the whole reason I'm going through this is so that he will conquer these people and put me, put my brother back on the throne so I can go back to King's Landing and, and regain my, my birthright. Right. So it's about time for me to start steering this into that direction and it's also kind of uh you know isn't that what Viserys said to her like make him happy mm-hmm. i need you to make him happy so she's still trying to do her duty sure um so yeah I, I definitely feel that this is her trying to make the best of her mission right yeah uh okay so sansa is scared by Ellen Payne and the hound kind of uh joffrey shows up and he takes her down to the river uh, where they find Arya and her friend play fighting with sticks. Joffrey joins in the play fighting with a real sword, and he cuts the butcher's boy uh, on his cheek and tries to slice Arya open, like really slice Arya. Yeah, open. like he was swinging to gutter. He hits one of those, and she's probably done. Fortunately, he's completely inept. He is. She disarms him and throws his sword in the <laughs> she river. Beats him with a stick and then throws a so flings a sword into the river. Well, she did yeah. have an assist by the wolf. Okay, sure. Like, I don't know that Arya is able to to do that by herself without uh, Nymeria coming in there and uh, starting some shit. But uh, it's, I mean, this scene, even knowing everything was going to kind of, quote unquote, be all right, I felt sick in my stomach. Yeah. Like, it's like, like, oh, gee, because you're right. He's chopping her like a piece of wood. And that's the thing, like. And Sansa's Sansa, in the background. Oh, my God. You're ruining everything, Arya. You're ruining Think about everything. me, Arya. Yeah. Think about me. Yeah, like, oh, ra- fuck you. Joff was well on his way to getting you drunk and raping you. Right. Everything was not going good. This and is now not your a- sister is in mortal peril here, and you're worried about how it's going to look. Yeah, And no, your marriage. We're not, like, yeah. fuck you, Sansa. Yeah, no, Sansa's terrible. Sansa's terrible. She's the worst. Like, you can defend it like, okay, well, this is the way she was raised, and this is her fantasy. And, like, yeah, I mean, those are all those are all excuses for her behavior. But it's pretty, you know, as a, as a television watcher, it's pretty cringy. And Arya, you know. Especially so Arya's so badass. Starts food fights. Yeah, every every opportunity with Sansa as the butt yeah. end of it. Yeah, so I I see why Sansa isn't you know super friendly with her, but sister, not even but a bit of concern. No, because that's the other thing is like she was ready to excuse everything that Joffrey had done at that point. 
Maybe right? I don't yeah. know. Maybe, does that say that Sansa kind of buys into that? Like, well, you know, the butcher boy did hit my sister, and that's a crime. And Could Joffrey's be. letting him off easy with a little uh, cheek wound. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, but the guards. She, she got swift. The other thing I like is that Sansa in this episode gets swift karmatic justice for everything she does. So like, she does. Yeah, I kind of. It was kind of weird for me that I still have this much antipathy for her because she makes a foolish decision and is swiftly punished for it. Like, mm-hmm. she goes to comfort Joffrey's like, oh, my sweet prince, oh, and he's eventually, he's just this immediately like, get away from me and mm-hmm. treats her terribly. And then, you know, she is a shit in this trial with her sister and her dog mm-hmm. gets like, everything she does, she pays a price immediately. <laughs> she it's, does. It's kind of, you know, she's kind of a pitiable character. Yeah. But I still kind of hate her. So, me too. Uh, and, you know, especially in contrast with Arya. I mean, Arya is so likable on a lot of levels, for me anyway. Uh, so the guards show up, uh, and they're searching for Arya, and she hits Nymeria in the neck with a rock. I mean, she just blasts Nymeria and frightens her off. Yeah, so it's she the, old, runs into the, the old yeller kind of thing. You gotta, right? you gotta try to do what's best for the dog, even though the dog doesn't understand. The dire wolf, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, and the search for Arya continues into the night. And we find out that the Lannisters now have her. Uh, can I just say that Ilan Payne is maybe the only person in Westeros with realistically unkempt eyebrows? <laughs> like, even the Hound has these perfectly tweezed... Just... Ilan Payne has fucking hairy caterpillars on his face. Sure, yeah. And that is what I think everybody's eyebrows would be like in this day. Yeah, no one's going to bother to trim their eyebrows. Oh. No. That's all I have to say about that scene. Uh, then Ned arrives back in town where Arya is trying to explain to the king what happened while Joffrey lies through his teeth and whines. Uh, they bring in Sansa to lie for Joffrey, which she does. Arya's pissed and Robert is frustrated. Cersei suggests that they at least punish the wolf, but Nymeria can't be found. So they decide to kill Lady in Nymeria's place. And Ned decides he'll do it himself. So I I actually thought Robert was pretty just in this handling of every situation. Like, yeah. If Sans, that's the thing. He's got t- two children saying different things, and like children fight. Yep. They'll get over it, you know. How, how you know you shouldn't, you, you, Ned? You punished your daughter. I'll punish my son. And also, these it's a dire wolf. This thing's going to grow up to be like a six, seven foot, like tall as a man at a shoulder blade, vicious animal. And mm-hmm. you're bringing him to King's Landing. What the f- like? I haven't said anything to this point, but it's already blown up in your face. From from everything that Robert has, the information, like, this seems like a pretty even-handed way to approach the situation. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and and all the crying from Arya and, and, and Sansa doesn't, you know, make up for that fact. Like, I, I was, this is supposed to be like, oh, Robert, oh, he's kind of... But I felt like this is... Uh, you know, if I was in Robert's camp, I think I'd agree with him. Like, yeah, they're cute yeah. now, but... No, and I, I'm glad that he doesn't, you know, give in to... Uh... Cersei's demands of punishing Arya for something her dog did, and like uh, that, that all just seems silly. What, yeah, Cersei's like, a, and like here. he said, like, a, you know, he's maimed the jaw. Like, how oh, dare you my. let this little girl disarm you? It's like, that's right, right on, right? Like, and, but even how did you even get in a fight with her in the first place, you stupid fuck? Right, you're like what, 15, 16, and you're fighting with a 10 year old girl? What the fuck's wrong with you? Like, that's it is all, stupid. yeah. And, and and Cersei's complaint of like, oh, he's going to bear these scars for the rest of his life. What fucking scars? And good. going to be a couple of dots on his wrist 10 years from now. Right. Who gives a shit? Yeah. 
Uh, if anything, it'll give him some character, make him look like he's been in a fight. Sure, yeah. Well, yeah. He wasn't a fight. He wasn't Just, a fight. He doesn't have to say it was with a little girl and a dog. Right. Uh, yeah, but you called out the swift justice. I like that. Um, and then, can I just ask you this? I don't think it's true, but Illin Payne in this scene is called a butcher by Ned, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I don't want a butcher to kill right. lady. I'll do it myself. And we see the butcher's boy. They're not talking about the same person. No, are they? he's this like, is not Ilan Payne. Ilan Payne is the son or anything. They, they even mentioned this episode that he's the king's justice or the king's uh, headsman. He's like the official executioner. Yeah. So Ned is like, uh, which is a weird thing to call him because that's essentially what Ned is as well. Okay. Yeah. He's the guy that cuts people's heads off when when he when just it's... has other duties too. They're Although I, I guess that's maybe the the big point is that he is a little judgy of Robert for not, you know, you've got, like, if I was the king, I'd fucking cut everyone's head off. i sentenced to sentence to death because the Self, man who yeah. passed the sentence swings a sword. Right. So maybe it's a little bit of that kind of prejudice that he's like, you've gotten soft. Mm-hmm. And, so, of course, you know, that's the other thing is Robert never was a northern person. The only reason they were friends is because they both were, were the wards of this other you know guy that lived in a veil so hmm. but i think that's a, that's a, some cultural bias there yeah that's like oh this guy's a butcher because he you know kills men and he didn't pass the sentence and blah. okay also he, he does a real hack job with the heads it takes him like three swings <laughs> sure. and it's just yeah, they call him three swing three swing illin <laughs> illin three Ilan swings, three swings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and then outside, the hound passes with uh, the dead butcher's boy, who he ran down on his horse, and because the butcher boy didn't run fast enough. And then Ned kills. You lady. know, the, the whole time the hound is doing, he's like, "Stop resisting! Stop resisting!" <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> As he's reversing over him. <laughs> uh, so Ned kills lady, and Bran wakes up. Yeah. Hmm. What does this mean? Kill yep. one wolf and and the other one starts whining and the boy snaps too. Right, it's a mm. suspect for mm-hmm. sure. And that's it for the episode. We cut to credits. Uh, I don't know if you want to say anything else or if we should move on to feedback. No, no, it's uh, another great episode that just like keeps upping the stakes and the dangers and yeah. you know like we are pretty sure just from the way you know Lannisters and Starks that the the Sansa and Joffrey were going to be. Uh, Kind of a bad match, but now we see it uh, in reality. So can't wait to see what happens next week. Yeah, same here. Because that's the other thing. Is like I do, I legit forget like a lot of the stuff in here and some of the finer yeah details. I forget like basically any character that was kind of minor. Sure. In the story, like, I've totally uh, forgotten. Sideburn Bowtie. Oh yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> I don't think I ever knew his name. But like the Maester Lewin, yeah, I didn't. Sure. I didn't remember his name. Like all that. Are we ready for feedback? Yeah. All right, if you'd like to send us feedback, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com and uh, forums at baldmove.com is where you can discuss this stuff. Uh, as is our wont, we're typically light in the non spoiler feedback, and uh, we'll be talking about. Uh, we'll be talking about the nature of the podcast in in the spoiler section up front, but uh, I want to do I do want to read these two and then then quickly get in the spoiler section. Okay. Uh, Will K said Jim mentioned that he'd love to see a silly MacGyver esque Game of Thrones intro. Well, he's in luck because this video a couple years back uh, is on YouTube and answers the question I know you've all been asking: What if Game of Thrones was aired in 1995? <laughs> awesome. Do you want me to throw it up on the screen and show you real quick? Uh, yeah, I got the link. I'd like to see that. Okay. So we just took a little podcasting break to watch the video. Uh, Jim, what'd you think? 
Uh, it was pretty much exactly what I was picturing in my head. Yeah. Was, you know, starring Sean Bean as Ned Stark. Right. And, like, and they're all kind of Just smiling. videos of him looking near the camera. Yeah, and... yeah. And they also added, the, like, the VHS tracking effect. Like, the, right. the tape itself is, is kind of fucked up. And the classic HBO 80s, you know, instead of the you know static that we're familiar with, they had that kind of crazy, look. Well, 80s intro yeah uh it's pretty good stuff i will say that there are spoilers through season three in in the video so if you're one of these uh, virgin unsullied uh, podcast watchers or listeners uh, you might want to avoid it but i'm throwing that link up in our show notes if you guys want to take a look at it i kind of want to the only thing I, I i don't think the score works i would love to see our theme song made by highway superstar the the, <laughs> the 80s television remix yeah that would make it pitch perfect you might have to re-edit it a little bit but mm-hmm. pretty sweet uh okay thanks will k jordan w said season one episode two the king's road offers up one of my favorite scenes with robert and ned discussing the fresh news that he's arrived from across the narrow sea i would have loved nothing more than to see back in the day ned and bobby on the road together <laughs> stirring up the beardiest most backslapping, most honorable dishonorable bromance the seven kingdoms has ever seen However, it's interesting to see how bad of a liar Ned is when it comes to his cover story and how wrapped up in himself Robert is to even consider for a moment that Eddard Stark would think of laying with a tavern winch while spoken for. Fitting for Robert's character, but how did Ned get away so relatively unquestioned on John's origins for so long? Uh, well, he's the Lord of the North, and if you ask too many questions, he just puts his hand on his giant ass Valerian sword ice and says uh you know and just looks off in the middle distance and if you don't get the hint then why doesn't the king like command him to tell him i command you to that's a good question he He could right they wouldn't be friends then right right it feels like that's a friendship ender yeah for sure either way whether he tells him or not it's like it's like uh, well fine tell you you just just, you could choose one be my friend or know the truth yeah uh yeah no, fascinating. Uh, that's all the non-spoilery stuff I can read. We got a shit ton more stuff in the spoiler section. If you have not... Here's the thing about the spoiler section, though. It's spoilers for all episodes of television and all books. And everything that George R. R. Martin's ever said. And every con appearance he's ever done. And everything that's ever been posted on the <laughs> internet about it. So, like, I right. guess there was some confusion last week. Uh, but the spoiler section is for everything. We're, we're talking about current stuff. Oh, people thought yeah. it was like speculative spoilers for the first episode. Or I've seen all of the television show. I've gotten though, and you know, we refer to oh. some stuff that probably is not going to happen in the show, but it's you know yeah. minor book spoilers, I guess. But yeah, like uh, if if you are any kind of spoiler phobe and have pretensions of reading the books later on and think that knowing certain things that probably not going to happen in the show happen, then stay the hell away. This is a uh, all spoilers, all spoilers up to current Game of Thrones history. All right. Uh, did you say how they can send us emails? Game of Thrones at baldmove.com and on forums.baldmove.com if you want to just discuss, shoot the, shoot the, uh, the shite with All right. your fellow fans. Cool. Well, for you non-spoilery people, for you spoiler-phobes, we will be back next week. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you. And we're back with the spoiler section. Uh, can we? Can we? Can I serve up some dry pie here? I want to serve it all up. Well, I want to have a. Com- I mean, I don't know. I have a lot to talk about. Spoiler, I do too. But I have a. Com- I have a conversation. I want to talk about the nature of our podcast. Okay. Shall we talk about that first? Sure. Yeah. Because I got a lot of feedback. Like it's super silly. You guys trying to do this thing where you pretend not to see the show. 
And, like, it would be a much more interesting podcast for me, the spoiler going, if you would, like, point out in context the scenes that, like, you know, have portents and, and maybe miss some obvious stuff. And what do you have to say? Because the way – I mean, I'm at of two minds because I do sometimes feel silly – trying to cover the show as if I'm not sure. completely steeped and swimming in all this this lore and book knowledge and advanced series knowledge. But yeah. I also think with the nature of the long tail of this product that Game of Thrones is something that's going to be enjoyed for decades to come. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm making a podcast for people years from now that are starting out the series and are looking for a podcast and, you know... Right. We what? don't think about it, or at least I don't think about it in the moment. I think about what this is going to be for people who just tune in for the first time. Right. So, like, I, for right now, I feel like we're doing a disservice for the vast majority of our audience by separating this. I mean, we try to make it easy. Like, we're posting the time code in the show notes. So if you don't want to hear the recap of the episode then you can just go right to the spoiler section where we'll discuss, you know, spoilers, both current and old and new. Um, Mm. But I, yeah, I feel like it's at the end of the day, I think it's valuable to have an archive of a show that we made that anyone can enjoy at any stage of their journey through Game of Thrones. Right. And for me, it's more important to have a complete catalog for someone who wants to join us. Um, join us in the podcast through game of thrones and if they're starting at episode one i want there to be an episode one for them yeah to listen to uh and that that actually to me is the more i guess important part than going back and saying hey look at these connections because that right. shit is all over reddit anyway sure um and if you want to find that stuff you can go get it but well, like, in the sense people like well when you didn't point out this but like some of the stuff that they mentioned were like super obvious things that if you have listened to any of any game of thrones podcast or done any kind of subredditing or mm-hmm. read the books it's like i i don't know like i i guess that's the other thing is i don't feel like my mission is to point out every single fucking detail that that harkens back or forward like if if it's on a plane reading everyone gets it you know right right i like if you're if you're doing a commentary on Terminator, like I, I think you, you, it's kind of dumb to stop and be like, you know, important thing to realize is that John Connor's father is actually this guy who's going to fuck his mother. It's like, okay, you watched a movie, congratulations. That's, sure, sure. You know, I, right, and I'm with you on that. I don't think we need to point out all of the the things that happen uh, later on, but uh, I mean, for me, it's like it's useless for someone who wants to enjoy a podcast with their game of Thrones viewing to start at season four. Yeah. If someone goes and in so, and this happens, like you go into game of Thrones and you're like, what's the best game of Thrones podcast. And our podcast is one of the top results. Right. And it's like, and oh. you go, where's seasons one through three. And I'm like, Oh, here's season one. I'm gonna listen to it. Oh shit. Who's this lady stone? Oh, you know, like it's right. That's stuff you, that's, that's going to, that's going to bum a person out. And you know, I mean, we could definitely argue is like we could put into, hey, this has got spoilers for everything. Don't, but that's that's completely turning an audience off. Yeah. Whereas at worst, I think that we've got a slightly tedious recap followed by, I hope, an engaging spoiler section that gives the people what they want. And also, there's a time code right there. Skip to it. Right. I mean, I get that his complaint is uh, we don't have a recap as spoiler only people. Um, like if I don't want to listen to 45 minutes of recapping bullshit that I already know. Um, about the episode, then I don't get a recap at all, and therefore it's harder for me to follow when you talk about spoilers. Oh, but I guess that's that's, true. that's less. I, I don't know. That's less of a concern to me than having a full catalog for someone 
for the thousands and thousands of people who are going to inevitably listen to this after the fact. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, if we only have seasons four through eight or whatever there's going to be, mm-hmm. no one will listen to our podcast from the beginning. And therefore, right. they won't pick us up when we when they hit season four. Oh, you know, I never even thought of it from that angle, too. Like, this is kind of good for us as a growing of our, the fan base as well. I mean, I just I just think it's good for everyone because we... Like, I wouldn't be going back and doing these if it weren't for filling in the catalog. Right. Uh, for new people. Yeah. So, consider... Like, spoiler people, consider this a bonus because yeah. you wouldn't be getting it if it weren't for needing to fill in... If, if it weren't for the people who would be new to the podcast. Okay. That's a good, and interesting good point, too. And like I said, I, I, I feel it. Like, I, I, I think you can hear that we're somewhat conflicted ourselves, but we do feel like this is the best long-term. I think so, yeah. So uh, now you didn't talk anything at all about like the the non spoiler feedback section because we had like two emails which last is pretty week fucking sad yeah I think that's I think that's a demonstration of how well I mean one thing we're gonna what's what's people what are people gonna say that we're probably not saying in the the the, the recap itself right like people don't want to probably chime in on the obvious uh, Sarah Connor's father or Sarah Connor's yeah Sarah Connor's father that's a real bombshell. <laughs> Turns out he's a Targaryen. Uh, but Sarah Connor's lover, John Connor's father, they, they don't want to point that stuff out either. Um, so I don't know. That might pick up going forward. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's that's what is silly when we have two and then we have like 30 non or spoiler feedbacks. I, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get the show on the road. Uh, you had some things you were burning to talk about. I have things I want to talk about. Right. So let's talk about Jorah real quick because Jorah he says the that he was banished by Ned because he sold these people off into slavery, these poachers. Sure. Cover story, right? No, that's actually real. I thought he was sent in as a spy. Okay, so you're you're right and you're wrong. Um, okay. the, the cover story, quote-unquote, of him being banished from Westeros and sent across the sea because he was a slaver, well, he was, uh, is, is true. Um, and he tells in later seasons the backstory that... He was married to a, a well wealthy southern woman who was not impressed with the charms of Bear Island, and um, you know because they just have this kind of shitty keep, and they're from a poor like you can imagine Winterfell is a ruin. All the other lesser lords are probably not just rolling, and he bankrupted himself trying to bring tournaments and feasts and f- and and acting troops and and buying her like mementos from home. And um, he was so desperate to make her happy that he resorted to selling these guys in slavery to turn turn some money. Um, so you can tell that, like, you know, he probably feels pretty shitty about this. Uh, the part that you're right about is that, yes, he was sent, um, contacted to, to um, contracted by the King's Landing folk to, uh, as, as part of a way to spy on Daenerys and keep tabs on her. And right. that was how he was going to get pardoned and earn his way back to Westeros. Okay. Gotcha. So he just didn't tell him. He told the him why he truth. came there, not why he's still there, I guess. Yeah. yeah what what that his would plans be. are. <laughs> I'm actually keeping tabs on your, your fucking yeah. highness. Yeah. Right. So uh, apparently, you know, the, the, the seeds of Robert's worry about that are planted here in this episode. And does that happen later on? In what the, does? In the series where he's contracted to spy on I think No, I think that's why he's he It's already happened. Camp. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Uh, and that's how so Ned, that's, how, expressed. that's when Rob gets, when Robert gets this note from across the narrow sea, I think we're strongly implied that this is by Jorah's own hand. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, can I just say how much 
more satisfying the slaps are this time around. Oh, sure. Like, after Joffrey has been a real shit. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God, he deserves those slaps. Yeah. That's the thing about... Everyone talks about the gut punches of Game of Thrones, but no one talks about, like, uh, just a point where you're like, fucking Viserys, man, he's the worst. Yeah. Khal Drogo pours molten gold on his head. <laughs> right. Like, there is some, some uh, you know, some pleasures to be found, too, such as they are. If you like seeing a man's brains boiled by molten gold. I do. Apparently I do. That's if it's, pretty sweet. Uh, the man's Viserion. Uh, Viserys. Viserys. Viserion's a dragon that's named after him for yes. some reason. Uh, okay, so... I have a couple points I want to make. First up, I, the point that I wanted to make that Natalie makes as well in the feedback. Okay. said, when re-watching season one of Game of Thrones, I am noticing now more than ever the stark har-har contrast between book Cersei and show Cersei. The contrast, of course, begins with how the Double Ds have tried to make show Cersei a more sympathetic and understanding character. As he explained in previous podcasts, book Cersei is almost a caricature and a cartoonish villain. She's yeah. vain, selfish, completely lacking in any self-awareness. She's clearly evil and inherently dumb, and us readers carry no sympathy for her. However, the Double Ds have clearly tried from the beginning to establish her as this three-dimensional, multifaceted character with pain and motivations beyond her own selfish desires. I don't know if this is working for me after a rewatch. Maybe I'm biased because Book Cersei is so completely ridiculous, but I don't know how you balance the evil side of Cersei with her being sympathetic. For example, in this episode of Game of Thrones, she goes to Caitlin, who or Catelyn, who is sitting devastated next to a comatose Bran, and tells a story about the beautiful black-haired baby whom she lost. <laughs> this is the most sociopathic thing ever. She wants Bran dead. She is half the reason he is lying there, and she is standing there crying over Robert Baratheon's son. I don't get this scene at all. She hates Robert, eventually tells Ned that she was so grateful that she never had any of his children. She also tells Catelyn that she's praying that the mother returns her son to her. This seems just super creepy and bizarre to me. How are we supposed to buy a sympathetic Cersei to a Cersei who is completely complicit in crippling the 10-year-old boy, wants this 10-year-old boy dead, and almost taunts Catelyn with her tale of woe? I, mean, I completely agree with you there, Natalie. In fact, I don't know that I even buy this story. Like, it could okay. be completely made up to cast doubt on if the Lannisters are complicit or not. To try to, you know, see what's... Or, well, as you mentioned, it kind of blew my mind. Maybe she was there to kill Bran. Sure. Like, she smuggles him with a pillow, she sneaks out, and then, like, oh, well, he died. Right. He, Nobody would he, think anything he of it. He passed peacefully, yeah. Yeah. I... Yeah. Like, I... And, and that's the thing. Is like I used to think of this as attempts to, sympath- to, to make her more sympathetic. But the yeah. way Natalie paints this as a true portrait of a sociopath is kind of compelling. Right. It is. Uh, and at this point, I think you're starting to understand that, right? There's like the scene between Sansa and her at the, the feast um, where she's kind of nice to Sansa. And she, she compliments her dress and says, make one for me. And like... Almost seems to be a decent human being, and now the the threads are coming loose, yeah. and Cersei's unraveling, and we're seeing the true Cersei. Uh, and, and I get the idea that she's also cynical about religion, like this idea of, oh, I pray every night that the god of whatever will return your child to you. Yeah. Maybe they'll listen this time. Like, she doesn't strike me as a particularly religious person, no. and then once we see her battle against the, the religious figures in season six, it's like... Okay, well, we should have seen this coming. She doesn't no, believe in any of this shit. No, but she's smart enough to use the religion. Oh like, yeah, you know Donald Trump quoting two Thessalonians or whatever he did. Right, like, right. You're, you don't fucking read the Bible. Get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. Uh, but yeah, I I totally totally got that aspect of her too. She's cynically manipulating 
Catelyn's quite sincere faith in God. Yeah. Uh, and drawing a common co- cause that she has that doesn't exist. I mean, we know in the current season that Cersei is fairly irredeemably evil. Yeah. She sacrifices a large portion of a city population mm-hmm. uh, to escape justice. Right. Um, and, you know, regardless of how you feel about the, the, the sparrows and whatnot, still, pretty mm-hmm. fucking extreme response. It is, yeah. She killed a lot of innocent people. Also in this episode, like seeing classic Ned uh, really makes me appreciate the lookalike aspect they're doing with John and the like. It's it's a clone. The hair, the costume, everything. With young is, Ned? Yeah, no, this this fucking Ned. Like he's wearing the exact same jerkin. He's wearing the same. They they made John up in this season after he was resurrected oh, okay. to be the spinning image of season one Ned. Right. And I think it's awesome. It is cool. Um, There's so. The other thing I want to talk about is Ned's conversation at the crossroads, not the crossroads, with but John, at, at, with John, where mm-hmm. he says, "We'll talk about your mother when I return." Is that because Ned thinks the next time he sees John, that he will be a sworn brother of the Night's Watch, and now beyond, you know, that even the King's hand, like, there's no way Robert can kill John if he knows that he's a Targaryen now. Yeah, but it could be. That's sure. dark because it's essentially Ned saying once you throw away your family's name and you forsake any claims that you could potentially have, that I can tell you the truth. But yeah. that's yeah. kind of how it reads to me. Like, I don't know. Or maybe I, why wouldn't you tell him now? Because that's the thing. Like, John doesn't have every piece of information he needs to make the momentous decision he's about to make. Right. It does seem like like he's doing the wrong thing by not giving him all the clues all right. the pieces of that puzzle yeah like you're about to f- give up your birthright and you don't even know what that is right but you'll at least mm. be safe and i guess maybe that's the promise he made to his sister trumps everything it is, yeah like you know make sure you make sure you keep him safe yeah uh you know he doesn't always do the smart thing or necessarily the right thing he does the honorable thing yeah uh which in this case i guess is keeping the promise yeah um, there's I a lot remember... of other stuff I got. So yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll <laughs> take turns then. Shoot. Okay. Uh, the the conversation that they have over the the mini feast in the countryside, Ned and Robert. Um, Robert's very worried about Danny and um, how she could be a threat next season. Um, or or how she's going to be a threat, like in season six, not mm-hmm. to him, mm-hmm. but he knows this war is coming, sure. uh, and he's rightful to be afraid of it or worried Mm -hmm. about it uh and then that it got me thinking i forget exactly how i got on this but kat's sister sent that note to her right last episode where she said i think the lannisters are involved yep we know in later seasons how Littlefinger is involved with her Mm -hmm. with uh whatever tully liza tully Mm -hmm. um is there any chance that little like the very next episode we find out that Littlefinger calls cat in and says hey uh, the Lannisters, this sword was stolen from Tyrion. I lost it to him in a bet. And yeah. like, that's Tyrion's dagger that they tried to kill your kid with. So it must be the Lannisters. This has Littlefinger's stink all over, right? So like, is there any chance that that note was sent at Littlefinger's behest? Eliza's note? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Cause okay. He can, like, so in the book, in the show, he confesses to killing John Arryn and using Lysa to send the note. And Does he? Okay. All this. That's part now, that I don't remember. The yet. one thing that's interesting in the books is it's heavily implied, if not admitted, that Joffrey is the one who pay makes the ham-fisted attempt to kill Bran. 
Why? Because Why does he care. So in the books, there is this like I think Joffrey wants to be accepted and lo- and uh, not loved because he's a twisted little thing, but but he wants to be approved of by his father, who he thinks of as 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 uh, you know King Robert, and that um, you know Robert says a couple times like it would be a you know it'd be a more merciful death if this kid you know if if, if he dies or whatnot. And there's some kind of misguided thing where Joffrey tries to make that happen. But yeah, it's, it's implied that, uh, and the fact that his mother's upset by it, it's implied that, okay. that that Joffrey does that. And that's why it's so clumsy and ham-fisted. Right. Uh, Interesting. Because right. the way I'm he reading stole, it now... He stole the blade from Tyrion, I think. Okay, sure. And, and then used that maybe to fray... Also, to See, get revenge on his uncle for slapping him. The, right, the, the, right. It's, like a, it's a twofold thing. Okay, I don't. I don't know if that's in the show. I've only seen the well, next episode. In the but... show, I kind of feel like maybe after everything's said and done, we're supposed to think the little. This is a yet that's, another machination by Littlefinger. That's what I think because it it drives that wedge between them and the Lannisters, and like, kind of, it, you know, it's just disrupting the status quo there, which I think is useful for Littlefinger. Yeah. Um. I don't know. If I mean, if Littlefinger's eliminating hands of the king, then maybe he's trying to set up a scenario by which Ned is killed. Uh, that's possible, <laughs> which we know that, he later betrays him. So, like, it seems that more than anything, Littlefinger's every move is to foment chaos and yeah. then to try to profit from that. So, I don't even know. Um, like, I think it's giving him too much credit to say that he foresaw all these moves. He just mm-hmm. does something to upset the status quo and then sees how he can take a step closer to the Iron Throne and then keeps doing that, keeps doing that iterate. And it, it's, it looks like this Mach- Machiavellian plan, but in, in isolation, he's just making one or two choices at a time and then right. putting his chips on the table and making his bet and see where it falls. Okay, let's let's go over to Danny's dragon eggs real quick. Okay. Because she's got clearly some kind of connection to these dragon eggs. Are they just laying groundwork to say, hey, these things are starting to come back to life? They're not as, as stony as they think they are? It seems pretty Like I said, I, I, I think the fact that she's focusing on these things as kind of like, you know, I'm a Targaryen. Uh, you know, we're all blood and fire. These are the. I, 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 I think my non-spoiler interpretation is correct, but I don't know. You might be right. Okay. I mean, we do know she has some kind of mental. Connection They're all surround, always surrounded by fire too. Like there's always candles burning them and right. and whatnot, heating them back up. Yeah. Um. Uh. One thing I want to talk about that I thought was funny is all this hue and cry over Joff getting bit by the direwolf. And we see, I think it's in season three with Sansa's walking in a courtyard in King's Landing. And she comes across this bronze statue of Joffrey with a sword held high with his head on a dead direwolf. There's a giant monstrous direwolf. Like he's told the story of the time he fought the direwolf at the Trident and killed it. And look at the scar. Like, and that that ties in with the speech that Cersei gave him about you know that when you're the king you get to make history and right. we see this with Tyrion's reputation Essos. I thought that was uh, uh, I had a, a little chuckle over that. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we want to talk about? Uh, uh, I thought I Robert and Ned's disagreement was interesting in light of Jon Snow's secret. You can see that like. Sure. Ned is unreasonably upset that Robert is still carrying this thing against the tar and and him murdering Daenerys is something that he's tied up with like his fears for John. Yeah. 
And, you know, with knowing all that going forward, it it makes a lot of that stuff kind of crackle for me. Yeah. Uh, And then, so the other thing I thought is, like, they laid a lot of track about the Starks, Direwolves all being kind of psychically connected, and maybe even the children psychically connected. Mm -hmm. But they never really, every instance that they've had to do like they do in the books where they shade, like, the idea that Arya has got some of this warging ability, that Jon's got some of this warging ability, even Rob... Uh, maybe Sans is the only one that didn't, but then that's because her wolf was the one that died first. Yeah, they never pay that off in the book, the the show. But I feel like that they might at this point in the series thought that they there was some way to do that because why else show the psychic connection between the wolves? Yeah, uh, it's a, a good question. I, I don't know. Um. Anyway, uh, we already talked about um, Mormon history. I think we talked about Tyrion and his family. The fact that you know. We don't know how he feels, but then in later seasons we find out that he hates his father. Mm-hmm. He hates his sister. They both hate right. him. You know, Jamie has complicated feelings about him that are you know more of a book. You know, that, later grows to hate him. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's kind of all the the thoughts I had. Do you have any others? Or no. Should we get the feedback. Let's do feedback. Tyler S said, "So my friend started rewatching season one this week, and she asked me an interesting question: Is future Brand giving Three Eyed Crow dreams to past Brand? I always assumed the, assumed the Max von Sydow character was responsible for the dreams, and I guess it could go either way. But this led me to a more interesting question: As a Three Eyed Raven, does Brand now have the ability to talk to people through dreams? If so, he could certainly send them to his past self, but he could he communicate with others." Could he reveal R plus L equals J to John this way? Could he reveal Cersei's infidelity to Jamie to further drive him over the edge? Could he tell the Hound about the Clegane Bowl? Or would he only be able to communicate with other dre- green seers? Um, I mean, the answer is we still don't know. Yeah. I mean, for it, as much it, as we found out about, about Bran, we still don't know. If you think that Ned heard him and not just a wind, then that implies that with enough strength and determination and practice, he could. Sure, I'll but, follow you there. But for the R plus L equals J, like I don't see how that helps John. John could wake up. I had a dream, and I'm a Targaryen. Yeah. Like, cool story, bro. Uh huh. <laughs> You're already king of the North. What 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 the hell? Um, I don't know. But uh, and, and and the fact that like I I also think there's an implication that maybe Max von Sido is somehow an older version of Bran. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know that I buy all that, but um. Anyway, uh, I don't. I also don't know how much of that is just my kind of chauvinist book attitude because I know things about the blood, the blood raven, and the three eyed crow that are not in evidence in this in the in the series. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Ryan G said, when talking about why the Walker let the Ranger go in the opening scene, you mentioned that the scene was the same as how it went in the books. In the books, the much much younger Ranger is up in the tree, and the old Ranger is back guarding the horses when uh, Royce is killed in a much different fashion. The young Ranger is then killed by a reanimated Royce, and is the old Ranger that survives and is beheaded as a deserter. The question of why the Walkers let a witness go is a show-only question, thus, uh, because in the books we never know what the old Ranger saw or didn't. Um, so yeah, there's. Um, I guess it's a little bit more dubious uh, in the books about... Who killed who and who saw what and if the old man actually saw a White Walker or not, whereas in the TV show, it's a lot more explicit. Yeah. Quentin H. said, I hear, um, all I hear is how Bran saw the explosion of wildfire at the Sept and what happened after Bran's vision, then he must be able to see the future. Well, with the timeline on the show, they have said the one plot line could be taking place while the other needs to catch up to it. 
What if Bran saw the explosion as it was happening or even after it happened? This is the only instance from the uh, vision so far that can be interpreted to be the future, so I understand why so many people think that. What would this change for our thoughts on Bran if he indeed cannot see the future? So he's essentially saying, well, if you want to excuse some of these travel problems and jetpack stuff, then why can't you? Why are you saying that this conclusively proves that that Bran can see the future, to which I'm like, you're right, it doesn't. Right, and I'm not hanging my hat on Bran can see the future. Uh, yes, that I, seems I've, very I've, much a P, be to be determined kind of thing. Yeah, so I'm. I, I don't know that it changes my opinion of what Bran can or can't do in any way. I guess because uh, I don't really have a good idea of what he can or can't do. Sure, like you said, all, all that we learned about Bran, we still have a lot of uh, open and valid questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, after listening to your Winter is Coming podcast, someone in the feedback section mentioned the nurses of the Tower of Joy as possible living witnesses to Jon Snow's true parentage. The proposed theory was that one of the nurses logged, logged the birth somewhere and that this evidence right. would somehow end up in a citadel for Sam to uncover. I have a slightly more crackpot theory. What if one of the nurses who helped Lyanna is still alive and grew up to be none other than Septa Unella? No. Oh. Good lord! Uh, so and the you mountain's know, gonna beat it out of her. Yeah, and in well, he's saying it'd be somewhat poetic if Onella somehow survives all the coming chaos in King's Landing and is liberated by many one of the many factions coming to take Cersei down. She'd then be in a position to share some pretty juicy information to some very interested parties. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe I wouldn't even read this except for I got like three people suggesting the same thing. So really, yeah, must have been a Reddit theory that a lot of people I read. There. Yeah. Because that seems like a pretty specific thing. Hmm. Uh, but no, I I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. She's Still, the right age. Like, I'm, I'm super curious what that would prove. Like, just one rando saying John's a Targaryen. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I need something more concrete to believe that people would just buy it. Yeah. Like, I need a fucking flaming sword. I need dragon riding and that kind of shit to really tell people I'm a Targaryen. Okay. And for them to believe it. All right. You hear to hear first. John or Jim, Jim Snow. needs to see John needs to see John burning and surviving. Yeah. Which we know he, he in later on this season he's gonna burn his hand, so Oh. Uh, Philip R. said in the latest podcast, you were asking why Binjin, Bran, and Mira were not attacked by the White Walkers before they reached a wall. What do you think about the theory that Binjin is a full-on White Walker and is working with them? What do the White Walkers want? To go south of the wall? What's the easiest way to cross the wall? Getting Bran to cross the wall and doing breaking the magic protection. Assuming that that is, in fact, what will happen with Bran and that wasn't like, you know, you know, you mark him, that's one mark, one ward destroyed kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Uh... I mean, I, it's plausible, and I know we talked about that in the podcast, that, like, what if Binjin is actually evil? Yeah, I, I guess, but why? Why does Binjin turn against his people? And and wouldn't the blood, wouldn't the, I mean, I guess I, my assumption is the Three-Eyed Crow and the head, the Night King, is on roughly psychic, even territory. Like, they're kind of matched foes. Okay. Or how else has the Three-Eyed Raven survived for so long in secrecy and, and been able to strike from his hidden rebel cave? Um, so that would, to me, introduce the plot spoiler of how did the Three-Eyed Raven not know that Bin Jin, even though he was saved by the Children of the Forest and Yada, how did he not know that he's a, a, a turncloak and a traitor? Yeah, I, 
I've would make never it... seen the whites be able to control the white walkers be able to control a white in this way. Yeah. Like with all of its capacities, right? Like yeah. its ability to speak, its ability to deceive and yeah. ride horse like I've I've never seen anything like that from the White so Walkers. So you have to assume that Benjamin Stark, with full possession of his faculties, yeah. would then be like, you know what, I want to side with the White Walkers, which could be interesting because a lot of people said, well, I don't like the fact that the White Walkers seem to be kind of a one-dimensional evil force, even with the story that they're biological weapons. That's still right, little bit too black and white for me. So maybe maybe Benj- that Benjamin thinks they have a point. Okay, I wouldn't rule it out, but yeah. I'm not leaning that way. <laughs> Uh, Michelle or Michael M said, "Want to chime in on something that's been bugging me from the start of the series? Cat's relationship to John. I never mm. bought it. I always seemed way out of character for her to carry so much animosity towards an innocent. Sure, I can see her being a bit cool when Ned first comes home with John, but to continue to treat him that way fifteen or sixteen years later seems unrealistic to me. With her own children, she's very caring and loving, and it seems that way in general. She also seems intelligent, compassionate, and fair. Not to mention strong and worldly." So I can see her emotions getting the better of her initially. I never worked for me that she was supposed to, so over the top of the rage for John. And in season three, when she tells the story of John's sickness to, Ta- to Lisa, it would have been the perfect time in her relationship with John for her to see him as an innocent and in all this and treat him like her own son. But she doesn't. And she understands that that's wrong, but does nothing about it. I just don't buy it from a strong woman of the North and the Riverlands. Um... So, and he said, lastly, Ned should have put a stop to Kat's ill treatment of John a long time ago. Um, it just seems like he let it go on knowing who John really was and being the one who brought him to Winterfell. Thoughts on this? Because... Uh, I So, disregarding that last part about mm-hmm. Ned putting a stop to it, I mostly agree. I I don't... 14 years, 17 years, whatever the hell it is, is a long-ass time to hold a grudge against a child who had nothing to do with it but from again from my perspective catelyn has the ideal perfect life and it's and, a daily and reminder this, I, and this is a yeah. daily reminder of her husband's infidelity that she has to put up with and she has no outlet for that rage and that betrayal but do, but eventually that just that fades right i mean i don't know sustaining maybe. for 14 years that kind of grudge seems like difficult work and well, she probably needed some kind of licensed marital family therapist to help her through, and you know, the North is <laughs> right. too. They could, Ned can't afford to repair his castle, let alone a therapist for for a cat. I, I don't know. There's this line where this character in Orange is the New Black said on the finale this season, where she's talking about this pattern she's gotten herself in her life, and she's like, "I'm seeing myself do this." As I'm doing it, and I know it's crazy. I know I'm fucking everything up, but I'm doing it anyway. Right. And like some, I mean, people are not. I mean, and that's I, I, I I'm not being crit- critical of you, Michael, because like I, you know, I, I do a lot of this too. Like, well, I wouldn't behave this way, so I feel like it's unrealistic. But I mean, people I get, get people are people are fucking weird, man. They are no, and I, they're, I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just, it seems to me that her pattern is be comforting and nurturing yeah. and caring and. Yeah. Like, to everyone else, she is that. Why Except is she not that way to John after so much time? Because uh, she's got a streak. she got an ornery streak to her, just like Ned. Like, <laughs> And that's the thing with, the, with Ned putting a stop to it. Like, if Ned's primary function is to keep John safe, mm-hmm. you know, uh, then he's not going to risk for John's convenience or comfort letting anyone in on the secret. 
that already oh, isn't certainly. a part of it. So yeah. I, you know, like him. I, I mean, I guess he could just put his foot down and be like, yeah. you know what, stop Kat, treating him this stop way. Stop fucking yeah. being a bitch. But on the other hand, he feels probably insanely guilty for keeping the secret from Cat and from the fact that she thinks this of him. Like he's got all this shit. He's got his own psychosis going on. So I, yeah. I feel like it's, you know, it, it's 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 a sad situation all around. Because mm-hmm. it could be, I mean, there's a lot of things that people could do, and they're just they're, but they're human and they're weak. Uh, you know, we think all these good things about Ned, but here he's letting his son bear all this brunt of his wife's anger, and he does nothing to help it. Like that's yeah, that's just a f- character flaw, straight up. Unless yep. you say that you know it's it's to keep John safe, but I don't know. Maybe well, it it's is also, partially, but but also you could see that that could be pretty self serving. Well, I'm doing this for his own ultimate good, and also sure. it keeps me out of trouble with the old lady. Yeah, I mean, there, but there's a difference, like you said, between just letting Cat be an absolute shit to him, and and t- straight up telling her the secret. There's a uh, middle ground there where he where he says, "Stop this ridiculous bullshit against John. I'm not telling you why. Just stop it." Yeah, as your lord husband, I command right. you. But that doesn't seem in his character either. Okay. So he's caught. He's caught. Yeah. Rocking a hard place. Uh, David H. On Littlefinger scheming, why did he kill John Aaron? If he did this with the intention of bringing Ned to King's Landing in order to create conflict between the Starks and Lannisters, why? Why not simply lead John Aaron to the truth about Jaime and Cersei and create that conflict between the Vale, Lannisters, and the Starks? If Ned had rejected Robert's offer, was sentenced to Night's Watch instead of death, or Crazy Pants, Liza screwed up because, you know, she's Crazy Pants, what was Littlefinger's plan B? I don't completely buy into his chaos bullshit, as I don't think he goes around aimlessly plotting people's deaths i mean that's the key like if you reject the character's own statement of his motivations and his life philosophy i don't know what to tell you because Littlefinger says i fuck shit up and i foment chaos and i use that to get myself ahead but he's also a big fat liar so who knows if he's telling the truth about his own motives right that is the other thing (laughs) Um, so I, I guess you can be forgiven for not believing him when he says that. Yeah, but but again, that's like your that's just your hunch or your own opinion. It it, I mean, I can't I'm I, I can't there. It's not like I have secret inside knowledge that makes all this make sense to me. Right. Um. It would be it would be a fascinating story to hear like to see all the story from Littlefinger's perspective, like what goes on in his mind as John Aaron comes to court and as he's finding out these things with Cersei and Jaime and his. You know, like, what is his thought process? Like, he, he's kind of like this black box. Um, That's the next book that Martin's writing. Well, it'd be interesting if they did, like, Little Ender's Game, Chronicles. The, uh, the Ender's Shadow, like, uh-huh. it was all the story of Bean. Like, uh, it would be cool to see, like, uh, you know, the Master of Coin. Like, that would be the next, it'd just be a uh, maybe a one-shot novel of all the story from Littlefinger's perspective. Yeah. It's like uh, Tales of the Bounty Hunters, right? Yeah. Where Boba Fett's inside the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark H. said, The depiction, depiction of books chained to the bookshelves in a citadel library was entirely rooted in medieval fact. Books had to be copied by hand by one of the very few people in Europe who could both read and write. Their value was practically priceless. Only the very wealthiest of aristocrats and monasteries would have possessed enough books to fill a shelf. Therefore, it was only sensible that books be chained in place to prevent the otherwise facile theft of a relatively portable treasure uh and and he cites that Mm. like this was true kind of close to the modern day he said to demonstrate the historic historicity of a high value placed on books in our own world not entirely too long ago 
Consider that Yale University was named for Elihu Yale, who donated the proceeds of the sale of his personal library of 417 books, which in the early 18th century is a decent-sized fortune, to an extant college in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, That's pretty fascinating. I have 417 books in my house easy. And, and, and I could not found the university based no, on that fortune. Barely by lunch. I could take him to half price books and get a quarter. Yeah. 25 cents. Trade so. him in for used copies of The Catcher in the Rye <laughs> yes. in 1984. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, uh, good good point. That's yeah. A- so, I'm not disputing the value of books. The thing I was worried about, wondering about, was like, why chain them? I mean, presumably you got a front door. People got to come in through the front door and go out through the front door these books are big. Yeah. It'd be tough to get one out, I think, without someone noticing. Uh, like I said, I think he's uh, he's pretty right on that unless you institute a stop and frisk policy at the front door of the Citadel, um, it's probably easier just to chain them. I guess. You're wearing big cloaks and shit. Yeah. And I bet there's multiple ways in and out of that library. There's not think just so? one door. I mean, f- okay. you know, fire hazard. <laughs> well, else. Yeah, because they're well, the real fire, worried what about... What the fire marshal of Old right. Town say about one entrance in that fucking massive thing encased in flammable paper? Sure. Uh, Rebecca T. said, listen to your season one, episode one show today. I had an idea. What if the whole Lyanna whispering to Ned about the baby thing is because John is the son of Lyanna Stark and Robert Baratheon? We didn't hear him tell who the baby's father is. It comes to mind because you kept mentioning how much in love he was with Lyanna. Uh, although, honestly, I think I was casting a lot of shade about how much he was in love with Leanna. But I would certainly explain his dark hair and features unlike Danny and her brother. I mean, there's no white hair there. What if they already had gotten together? This would leave open for Danny and John to get together without the romance turning incestuous. Um, so, I mean, the problem with any alternate theory to R plus L equals J is that there is so much evidence for the R plus L part of that uh, that... Yeah, are really fighting an uphill battle trying to suggest any other pairing or any other parentage in there. Right. Uh, so, and now, I do think that George Martin and the show itself set us up for, uh, for a little bit of a fall by making such a big deal out about the genetics and the golden hair and whatnot. Sure, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the Starks have dark, you know, the, the, the Northerners have dark hair in their bloodlines and not all, also, hashtag not all Targaryens have right. bl- uh, blonde hair or silver blonde hair. That's, there's historical fact that they had all different hair colors and all different hair, uh, eye colors, so. And if you're viewing incest as a showstopper, I, <laughs> I don't know how you got this deep <laughs> the in. The show stopped last episode. <laughs> right, the show stopped <laughs> before it began, so. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like, I, I don't even know how many more I want to of these theories. Um, that's the problem, though, is, like, I say that in every podcast, and then three podcasts later and some new person comes in, and they think I'm being a shit for ignoring the theory. I just and don't – I find personally uh, – and I'm the spoiler guy, and, you know, it's because Jim's not making these cuts. He hasn't read the stuff in as much detail, so mm-hmm. – you know, one of my bouncers, my my mental bouncers is like if you're going against R plus L equals J, I just don't think it's possible because what's the what's the what's the odds that a person has uncovered this kernel of these books that have been out for 20 years in some cases that blows the whole lid open and R plus L equals J. I understand the contrarianness of it, the impulse and sure, like, yeah. well, George is such a superhumanly good author that he's got a double, triple backstab. Reveal. We couldn't have figured it out. Yeah. But that's how you go down conspiracy theory land and yeah. start thinking that there's no way we could send a man to the moon. 
Right. I mean, and I, that, that's another thing that I'm not sympathetic to. I, I like to go where the evidence leads, and the evidence seems to be leading to yes. R plus L equals J. Yes. There might be some isolated instances of problems to the theory, but again, if you go to where, like you said, the evidence leads, there might be discrepancies and some outliers, but... Right. It's like the general theory of relativity. You don't throw it out when there sure. are small discrepancies. Sure. The star's mm. wobbling weirdly. Well, you wait 50 years and you'll figure out why. Right. Um, yeah. Um, Derek W. said, I have heard in some th- circles that A Song of Ice and Fire is referring to the two perceived heroes of the story, Danny and John. I do believe this may still be the case, but now we have confirmation that John is both ice and fire through his mother, Leanna, and father, Rhaegar. This leads me to believe that stories about Jon Snow as the sole her- hero. As both Danny and John uh, gain power, their ambitions are polar opposites. Danny wants the Iron Throne by any means necessary. John is a reluctant leader. They'll eventually have no choice but to be in opposition to each other. Um, Danny will become an enemy. She will make the series, a series of decisions that will seal her fate as the Mad Queen, a queen that John must take down, and a character that fans will no longer care for. But here's the problem. We as viewers have both made John and Danny our fan favorites. We love their journeys throughout the series. How are the writers going to make the full uh, uh, heel turn? I thought to myself, Danny would have to kill someone who is universally beloved. Don't, I, nope, don't go there. Don't you dare, because I my fan favorite is Tyrion. <laughs> well, he's got Tyrion in his <sighs> crosshairs. I held this thought in my head for a week because I was trying to think of a scenario where this would happen, but nothing really made sense. Tyrion would have to have a fault in his convictions, and Danny would have to basically betray him. And be 100% in the wrong. Then I heard Season 1, Episode 1, Rewatch, rewatch Podcast. Uh, Tyrion is hated in Westeros unjustly, and the new regime with the imp at the helm may not go over well. Right. Well, in an attempt to uh, gain favor with the people, she will have Tyrion publicly executed. It will go against everything she believes in except for her never-ending goal of ruling Westeros. What's worst of all is it will be Tyrion's idea. Or, alternatively, <laughs> Danny will explain it to Tyrion like it was his idea. Uh, we as viewers will turn on her and want her dead after that act. Um, wow, that would be full Mad King. So, so he's saying that essentially, I'm because we got very little time today. Yeah, uh, you got to catch a plane. Uh, but uh, to, to boil this down is that in much the same way Tyrion said, "Danny, you have to do something hard that you don't personally want to do, and it's something you have to do as a queen. You have to break up with Dario." He might say, "Like I'm a shit show in Westeros. I'm a liability." You have to, to to get the kingdom in the kind of world that we want. I have to face justice for these things I didn't commit, or otherwise you're never going to get what you want. That actually feels like something that could happen to me. Well, I think the the second thing that they said there feels right, which is maybe Danny uses his words against him uh, in a way right. where, like, he says, you need to offer the people something in order to yeah. quell them. That's the only way they will come to love you. And she goes, all right, you said it in your own words, and she kills him. Yeah, and and the fact that she felt nothing breaking up with her... Right. Well, I mean, that, there... I felt an icy pit, in, uh, uh, icy lump in the pit of my stomach when I read this email, because that does seem like something that could happen. And they have really set up how much Tyrion is hated. It could, yeah. And if, 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 if fucking Dario... Nyquilis is a liability. The all scheming, all powerful, right. all evil imp is going to be a super liability. Right. Scary. And and I, I wouldn't lend much credence to the idea unless they had done what they'd done, which is setting up Tyrion as the menace of Westeros from the very jump. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, episode one. Uh, Trevor said, Do you think that Sean Bean was privy to information about Jon Snow's true parentage? 
During the scene between Ned and Robert in this episode, Robert asks about Ned's bastard mother. Ned looks like he's remembering the Tower of Joy and then comes up with a lie to, re- to satisfy Robert, that being the name of Willa. It's pretty good foreshadowing, and Sean Bean's subtle facial expressions really sell the idea. Did he know, or did he just guess that Jon Snow was not his son? Or was he using this thing that we call acting? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's. I thought that was implied in the scene that he's yeah. got the same story that everyone else is is guessing, right? Which is well, that, Ned fathered a bastard child on his journey. I don't think Sean Bean needs to know. I mean, maybe they told him, but I don't think Sean Bean needs to know Jon Snow's true parentage for the Double Ds or whoever directed this episode to be like, okay... You're being cagey about this, and there is some deep tragic secret, and you're and and you need to act appropriate. Like he's a fucking actor. Oh, oh, oh! There. Okay, I'm. I was confused uh, because I was using the actor and the character interchangeably. Oh, yeah. So they're saying like literally, does, does Sean, Sean Bean, Bean the know? man, the yes. human being, know? Yes. Who? Okay. And then that's why his performance is so nuanced and good. I'm like, I Maybe. think Sean Bean's just a really good actor. Try to get it out of him. You saw. You saw what he does. <laughs> he shuts that shit down. That's right. He puts his hand on uh, the hilt of ice and just looks off in the middle distance. Mm-hmm. Mike Gim said, I just started my reread of the Song of Ice and Fire books and noticed a big difference, at least in my mind, between the book and the series premiere. In your episode, y'all, uh, re- recap, y'all mentioned that Cat begged Ned not to accept the hand of the king's position. However, in the book, it's the exact opposite. Ned doesn't right. want to go and Cat says he must to protect the family and not stir up Robin's suspicions and or wrath. Yeah. Kat doesn't want to go either, but she's definitely pushing Ned to say yes to keep the family's honor and favor intact. What do you think uh, the show... Why do you think the show is so different from the books? I think the Double Ds didn't want Ned to appear weak or Kat as a nag. It's not a big deal, but I thought the difference was interesting and would like to hear your thoughts. That's interesting. What do you think, Jim? I mean, the trouble is they don't do much to fend off the the nagging accusations, right? Don't, don't they? I mean, she just goes the other direction with it nagging him not to do this thing right but it's uh, kind of in a way that she knows like i'm asking anyway. this because yeah. this is how i really feel and people that are intimate with each other are open with their emotions even if they're uncomfortable but sure sure but uh, but yeah like i know you are the type of man that you are and you cannot decline this so yeah i don't i don't know why they decided to change it that seems strange to me a lot of these decisions to change things do yeah i mean i think it's they're going with this fact that ned is this like super noble and strong character so that it really because they don't have time they don't have a bunch of ned monologues that they can deal with where you know there's a lot of stuff where ned's sitting in the black cells awaiting his fate and really giving things to us as the the reader where they can't do in the show and i feel like they're like i we really want to sell the gut punch of ned's ultimate fate and we have a little extra time with cat we're making on. yeah we're making him this paragon of virtue that we're just like everything in in our hollywood skills is saying that he is the hero of this story yeah just so we can fuck you so sure. that i think and i think it worked it uh-huh. worked because anyone who went out there spoiler free was dumbfounded and shocked mm-hmm. um stella wrote uh, in upcoming few episodes, it'll be interesting to see Ned and Robert through the lens of Ned's diminishing guilt about betraying Robert by keeping Leanna's son secret. This is a super fascinating email. Every time Robert calls him my loyal friend, Ned feels he's got a little bit more to make up for, which is why he accepts the offer of the hand in the first place. 
I say it's episode six when Ned finally realizes he's done the right thing, lying to Robert and everyone for Leanna and John. Before that, we can watch the shifts in his face when he hears Robert call for Danny's murder. I think he's realizing that Leanna had been right to fear Robert as a threat to her son, hearing what he'd be willing to do for to a child for being a Targaryen. Oh, yeah. Um, when he can't talk Robert out of it, gradually Ned realizes that he's been giving Robert too much credit all these years and his guilt has been stupid. It's at that point his loyalties finally shift back 100% to his family and his misplaced obligations to Robert are dead. I think that's how he can conspire against Robert by mistranscribing his last dictation to keep Joffrey from inheriting the throne, even if he's uh, bad at it for lack of experience. Now, this is one point I, I disagree with Stella. I don't think that he... I, I think that that is ultimate loyalty to Robert, because Robert, if Robert knew the truth, he would have not wrote that statement. Ned knows Robert, and Ned knows the truth, so Ned changes that. I mean, it's kind of self-serving, too. But okay. ultimately, I think that's what Robert would want if he knew all the facts, Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of things that are eroding um, this relationship. I mean, we mentioned earlier Ilan Payne, the, mm-hmm. the mere fact that Ilan Payne exists as a job, right? that that guy has a job, uh, it kind of erodes Ned's respect for Robert. And Robert is yeah. not a very good king. He just sits and eats and fucks and drinks and... sure. That's all he does, uh, and I think Ned sees that. And, and as they've he gets grown closer, each other a bit. Yeah, yeah, their relationship. They had a, a really good relationship, and now it's you know, it's just nostalgia that's keeping them together. Yeah, it's like when you get back with a high An school honor. friend and you talk about the good times. It's good, but then it's like, oh, we should see each other more often. And you realize, oh, right. Yeah, you really, you you're really stuck in those good time days, and sure, nothing. You're really Matthew changed. McConaughey. Yeah, and you're fucking high school girls. Right. <laughs> no thanks. All right. All right. Um. Yeah, but I do like the lens of seeing Ned struggle with this guilt, uh, now knowing like it's not his personal honor, but John's life at stake. I, I think that that's a cool thing to be watching the series yeah. through. Sure. Uh, Denon says, as an observation, the three-eyed raven is encased in a tree in the cave. Bran is crippled and cannot walk on his own. The old man in the tree doesn't walk around either. Do you think he's paralyzed as well? Or do you think that this could be a wormhole of Bran teaching himself the Green Sea and try to not affect past, present, and future events? Another could, could be. Yeah, I wish, man. I really wish they'd gone because in the book, this fucking three-eyed raven is so cool. He's like literally gnarled. Like the trees have grown through his body. Like there's mm-hmm. a tree root popping out of his eye. There's huge roots going through his chest, and he's like literally. You can imagine him sitting there like Bran and like communing with the tree and just never leaving the tree growing and, and making him a part of its body. And that's yeah. like now he doesn't even need sustenance. Um, but they didn't because Mac Von Soto needs to act. And <laughs> I guess, although he could have done plenty of acting walking around. I, I'm still pissed about that, honestly. That's such a such bullshit. Yeah. Uh, but no, I don't think he's paralyzed. I think he's grown into the tree truth. The, the tree roots and they just for whatever reason pushed out on showing that okay uh cody s uh actually we don't have time for this uh they has a bunch of hypothetical that would have been interesting to talk about like wh- how would the show progress if the starks had never left when a bunch of what ifs um sure. maybe we'll consider that next week when we have a bit more time uh stella says okay the other point of view from the danny rape scene we talked about last week we got two emails i thought were pretty good uh Stella says on your episode one question of why the double D's would have changed your wedding night with Drogo to be explicit rape rather than depicting Danny's consent in the books. I have two responses. One, you could argue that sex between a child and a warrior to whom she is wed against her will is by definition, not consensual. 
Maybe the Double Ds thought it better to depict the sex as explicitly non-consensual so that they're that we could all be appalled by it rather than muddy the waters by showing what would be at best dubious consent as a positive. Uh, and this is the question of like Lady Mormont and is she a badass or not? Like in the books, Danny's 13 to our sensibility and, and Drogo probably is 18 or 19 to our sensibilities. Okay. This is that's the rape of a child in the medieval day. That's just business as usual. I don't know what you think when you see Danny on screen, but I don't think anywhere near thirteen. I think well, of 20, course not. Because imagine 20. so. But my point is, yeah, yeah. having these older actors yes. portray that and changing that scene to make it explicit rape. I don't. But I, I do think. Well, that, I guess okay. So that's the only way they could do it with the older actors, right? Because you, you wouldn't get that, that sense. Yeah, imagine if they had a thirteen-year-old. Well, I mean, kind of. I mean, Sansa doesn't That's look super old. That's true, and, they do uh, and she looks her. real young here. But yeah, but in a then, couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, that's 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 one thing. But I, I like the fact that it's like you know, and there's another email on this topic that that. And these are the last two emails we got that I think kind of delves in that a little bit. Might, and there's might the Mary Trench. I mean, mind. we could do it. I mean, that's the thing. Like I thought, I, I came away from my last week discussion thinking that what the double D's was just out and out bullshit i still think that there is a little bit of a pattern there that bugs me but these two emails just have shown a little bit more nuance and not in the right dumb, that like, is a fair point yeah and th- this isn't the kind of like you know well they're married so it can't be you're like this the kind of st- in like oh you don't understand how the old times work both this is a lot more informed and nuanced i thought right here's here's my counterpoint yep if you believe that lady of bear island can yes. lead her people and can be mature enough and old enough. Sure. I'm not sure why you actually think that a 13 year old can't give consent. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like you're you're caught between the horns of that dilemma. Like right. you either think Lady Mormont's dumb, or you think that a 13 year old can give consent to a sexual relationship. Right. And, those, and the, honestly, those answers are very complicated because they are. Yeah, biologically, yeah. Uh, there's no reason why a 12, 13, 14 year old man or a boy sure girl, it's culturally societally it's yeah. and 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 the question is is whether you know we're the better off by putting in restrictions on our biology and saying really age of consent is x because while biologically they're more, more mature there's a lot more of emotional and mental processes that have been emergent qualities on our biological hardware and this is actually a better way of doing things an accumulation of experience and understanding yeah. and yeah like it, are we right. better off having society where we keep children you know that, that that they don't have to be exposed to adult influences, and they don't have to grow up as fast as maybe they're capable of. Those are all interesting discussions, but for another time. Okay. Stella continues because we haven't; she hasn't gotten through her main thrust of her argument here. B. The wedding night rape shows that Drogo is firmly rooted in Dothraki culture, in which it seems shared pleasure or even a willing female partner aren't even notions. With this scene as a baseline, the show can later depict Danny as a culture changer from the first few episodes, and willing to do whatever is necessary to reach her goal. Drogo of the show would have never considered any other sort of sex, so Danny introduced something new. She turned generations of culture to work in her favor by manipulating the one power she has access to. Throughout the series, she steamrolls native cultures to bring their their people to her way of thinking. She started innocent and victimized before she learned that she could wield the power through sex, then she moved to relying on her position, then to force and fear, and now towards diplomacy and governance. I thought that was a strong point too. Yeah. That mm-hmm. that that Danny has this culture changer, which is you know the breaker of chains, the breaker of the wheel. That is something that is established kind of in that first these first yeah. two episodes through this tale of her conquering her rapist. Right. 
She she doesn't even at the beginning realize that she can do that. Yes. Right? That that's even a possibility. She's just like, no, 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 I can't do any of this. It's not within. And crucially, the it wasn't her guidelines. slave girls to be like, why are you letting like this is this is shit that she came up with all on her own. Like she, is she, it? Yeah, I mean, they didn't say like, "Why are you letting him?" You should use your sex as a weapon. They're just grooming her hair, and she's asking questions, and she's, you know, a def- she learns right, the but skill that scene from where her... they're they're grinding it up. Uh, no, no, the, she learned she's the very skill, much like but it was... I can't do this. This isn't what he wants, and hmm. the servant's like, "Yeah, it is. Hmm. Just do it anyway." Well, that's part of the training, but she requested the training. I mean, I want to say right, right. like I'm yeah. giving her agency, and that that she kind of had this idea of how she can use her her feminine power um and i and think that, she grabs that, a hold of that much yes much firmer later on <laughs> uh so that was stella's uh point of view which i thought was interesting tim also wrote what i thought was a thoughtful email on the topic um are we sure that because he acknowledges the scene obviously i played it it's, it's you can't argue about the scene itself mm-hmm. but are we sure that germ wrote that scene all that well let's begin with the less inflammatory <laughs> no. argument and and look at the scene in the context of storytelling and character world building Gurm introduces the Dothraki as a violent, fiercely paternalistic, and misogynistic society. At Danny and Drogo's wedding, our first real introduction—excuse me, our first real introduction to Dothraki culture—twelve people are killed, and there are at least two different cases of violent sex. It's impossible to know if there's any degree of consent from these women, but the whole point of their culture is, as it's written, is that it doesn't matter. The women's responses are never noted. And the men wouldn't care if they resisted or not. In fact, as we know from the phrases like mount the world, the idea of conquering a woman or a tribe or a nation or a world through forced sex is ingrained in their culture and glorified. We then, at the same chapter, Danny's second chapter, have the scene in question. We heard it on the podcast, so there's no need to reiterate, but it's clear that Drogo is surprisingly kind, gentle, and slow, traits which seem to be the antithesis of everything we know about the Dothraki, and Danny expresses consent at the end in which she says yes. But then... We get to her next chapter. Here she describes her continued encounters with Drogo, and he quotes, Cal Drogo ignored her when they rode, even as he ignored her during their wedding. Yet every night, sometime before dawn, Drogo would come into her tent and wake her in the dark to ride her as relentlessly as he rode his stallion. He always took her from behind, Dothraki fashion, for which Danny was grateful. That way her lord husband could not see the tears that wet her face, and she could use her pillow to muffle her cries of pain. When he was done, he would close his eyes and begin to snore softly, and Danny would lie beside him, her body bruised and sore, hurting too much for sleep. Day followed night, night followed night, until or day followed day and night followed night, until Danny knew she could not endure a moment longer. She would kill herself rather than go on, she decided one night. So, this description is extremely incongruous with how Drogo acted on their wedding night. There's no foreplay, there's no asking for consent. He literally just walks in, wakes her, turns her over, and fucks her. When she feels so powerless that she would rather die, that pretty heavily implies a lack of consent on her part. I've avoided using the term mm. thus far, but it's very clear throughout the way she describes it that this is marital rape, plain and simple. She doesn't want it to continue, but she is in no position to say no. So why is Drogo different that first time? He displays no degree of kindness and compassion up to that point, nor after it. Nothing in our understanding of Dothraki culture tells us that this first night should be different or that cows are secretly gentle people. If anything, Drogo is consistently noted for how much more of a macho badass he is compared to the other cows. I would contend, then, that the scene of Danny and Drogo's wedding night is actually bad writing. It doesn't fit at all with everything else we've presented to us about Drogo or Dothraki culture. It doesn't match in any way at later depictions of sex between the two. 
From Danny's perspective, it's also oddly dissonant with how terrified and uncomfortable she is up to that point and after. I think the way the show did it actually makes more sense and fits more logically with what we know about Dothraki culture, Drogon, and the situation Danny was in. All that being said, I don't want to ignore the larger problem with people have adding rape to the scene. The biggest criticism laid at the show was that this scene that they feel in some way was changed to rape simply for shock value. But we should examine how problematic consent is in the book. For me, it's actually far more uncomfortable with how Gurm wrote it. Because, and I'm trying to paraphrase because we're, again, running out of time. But uh, Danny's in a situation where consent is essentially impossible. She's literally sold as a slave to Drogo. Uh, At no point does she have the opportunity to give consent or make a choice. Do you think realistically that Drogo would have been cool with her saying no? He'd have just been like, damn, rode back and told everyone, sorry guys, I didn't realize my new wife didn't consent to this. I obviously didn't force myself on her because I'm not a rapist and the marriage is off. I hope she leads a rich, fulfilling life and I'll be donating the proceeds of my next sacking to charity that fights against rampant sex slave, arranged marriage problem we have in this country. That is a progressive Drogo. That is a progressive Drogo. So Drogo, yes, Drogo asks no, but it's an illusion of choice. And the whole scene is emblematic of the major cult problem in our culture, one that is perpetuated in entertainment, which has led to an uncomfortable culture that we see on many college campuses and other places throughout the U.S. It plays into a fantasy of a man being so damn good at sex that he's able to turn a no into a yes. The mentality is why you hear rapists referring to themselves and saying things like, well, I know she said no, but I could tell she totally wanted it. It also hits on the idea that consent is even possible in situations like this. These kinds of scenes being so popular and defended is why people like the swimmer at Stanford felt that it was a perfectly acceptable argument to say that a woman who was so drunk she had blacked out was totally into it and wanted it. Consent is not possible in that situation. If someone holds a gun to a woman's head and tells her they will shoot her unless she has sex with them, and then she says yes, that doesn't mean consent was actually given because consent is not possible in that situation. If a woman is sold into arranged marriage to a man who will kill her and everyone she knows if she refuses then says yes to sex with that man, that doesn't actually mean consent was given because it's not possible in that situation. I mean, okay. fairly devastating arguing against... I mean, I, I... So it's without any other context, I'm going yes. to say sure, but I'm unequipped to judge. It, it, other than what I directly hear um, right. and what he describes, I can't judge like the bigger, the larger context for this. So maybe there's some other piece that makes it all work. Well, I don't know. But that's, this goes but back as presented, to earlier, yeah, it's pretty... And, and this goes back to our earlier conversation of the, the, the great Danny and Drogo love story. Like, okay, right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know I, I know that... Uh, I mean, sometimes my girlfriend and I, like, you know, um, playfully call each other Moon of My Life and Sun of Stars because everyone <laughs> thinks this is this big romantic thing. But when you really break it down and look at it, I, I kind of come to the idea the, the that maybe the, what Gurm did is he... He's got this 13-year-old girl that everything in the story says she should be raped. But he knows that's shocking to modern ears, so he actually pulls back and, and genteels it. And the double D see it for what it is and is like, no, this is going to be a woman's story uh, about her rise as a conqueror from this brutal beginning. But they still lean into the later on love story. And, you know, right. And, and Martin later on leans into the rape. So like, sure. How, how do you reconcile what's right that? and what's wrong? And and then you, you want to say, well, this is all uncomfortable and inappropriate. I, I no, uh, it's, I think it's interesting that like in this latest season of orange and new black, there's an exact same situation where 
a woman gets raped by a man and then has complicated feelings about their relationship afterwards. Like, mm-hmm. the human condition has got a huge spectrum of fucked up stuff, and, you know, that's one of the reasons that I think that, that Martin's stories appeals to us, because it kind of presents it in a fairly unblinking fashion, um, and has room to tell all of those stories, but it's definitely something that I think you gotta feel uncomfortable about it in, in the margins. And I think there's room for Martin to have just written a bad scene. Uh, or that's he just, certainly he just like I, now, I can't write a story where a 13 year old girl gets raped. I just can't do it. Uh, and afterwards, after it's like you know, like we get it on the right side. I can I can show like you know the fact that this guy is this unpitying kind of monster that's slowly conquered. But I just I I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm writing a scene that I just I just can't do it. And we and in fact I had another woman that I didn't have time to read, but she wrote in and said I scoffed when I read that scene because I'm like oh god this is written by a man because there's no fucking way a 13 year old girl would get like all hot and bothered and not be terrified and say yes in this situation. So Right, right. I I I don't know. I mean he in passing I guess wrote rape scenes, yeah. Well but it's usually not I mean that's the other thing, is like um I'm sure that I'm wrong when maybe, I say this. Maybe but, it's not as in But it's also like in passing and it's happens I mean, to third yeah. party characters. It's not usually right. POV character. Sure. It's maybe you just can't write one in that much detail uh but which which i don't think makes him i don't think that makes him a bad person i think it makes him like i don't know i couldn't sit down and write you know the book we wrote about that book um we read the metamorphosis of prime intellect like how fucked up some of that shit is and we even talked about like man how do you sit down i mean i'm glad a person can write something that crazy and unflinching but i don't know that i could sure maybe george can't either i couldn't either uh but, but i mean that's I guess that's defending the writing skill of George Martin. It's also quite possible that he just didn't realize that he had written some incongruous scenes. Yeah, uh, sure. And he got through his book, and the editor didn't realize it either. And boom, well, it's and out there. Also, our, now. our, you know, this 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 term that um, uh, shit. I forget the name. The guy's name wrote that last thoughtful email. Um, Tim. Uh, t- yeah, Tim. Thank you. You're better at this than it. Uh, he. The word rape culture didn't exist 20 years ago. Sure. So. Yeah. You know the, the the world has moved on even from where George first started pinning it, and I you know you, you get the sense that George is a pretty liberal guy, like oh, when yeah. he writes about you know stuff going on in the the world of publishing and and how people react in the show. So, but you know, so I want everybody to write down this question, like write down oh shit, uh, you know you wrote this scene with Danny and Drogo, and then later on you kind of contradicted it with a bunch of rape scenes uh-huh. or a bunch of of implied rape, I guess. Uh huh. Uh, what up, George? I want everybody to write that question down. And if you see George Martin <laughs> and you got your camera on you, your phone on you, I want you to get this on tape, put it up on YouTube, because I want to know the answer to this. Like, what would he say if confronted with that question? I bet you, I actually, I, I'll do some little research because I'm, I'm certain that. Can you get this a question to him? Th- no, I don't know. I get a question to him. What oh, I'm saying okay. is I'm, I'm sure the So Spake Martin archive probably has something about. Okay. I, I mean, I know that he broadly, when he asks, is because I don't think that he agrees that his work is anti-feminist. He's like, I, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm telling story of realistic characters in this medieval situation, and that you know, I, I feel like women have power and agency, and my blah blah blah. Um, I'm blah blah blahing a lot of important stuff, but I don't. Sure, I, sure. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he actually says like, what do you feel about the story of Drogo and Danny and their kind of romance and love affair? Because it's clear in the books that Danny came to love. Drogo, but you know, people with Stockholm syndrome come to love their captors too. Right. 
that just shows that you know what what survival conditions do to human. I I don't I honestly don't know what to think about it because yeah. it's presented as this kind of love story, but it's very problematic how it began. Okay, and I don't know that we're going to be talking about this in the weeks to go ahead because uh, you know I mean I don't know there could be some thoughtful interesting emails that that follow this because I didn't expect I kind of expected last week was the last word on it really um, so I don't know we might uh, might have some some other discussion but. Uh, uh, maybe this is the last word. Uh, it is the last word for this podcast because we are done. We've got no more stuff to read. Uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com if you like to send this feedback. Again, uh, I can't read all of it because I get tons of it. Uh, I, I apologize because I had a rash of people getting all hurt that I didn't read their emails. But the reality is I can read at best, even in the off season, a tenth of what I get. So yeah. it's it's them's the breaks. He, he, right. who, uh, he who calls the emails... Control alt deletes or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He who okay. control C's must control V. Workshop that. Come back next week with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll be back next week for the third episode and we'll keep on rolling. Yeah. That's it. We'll see you then. Bye bye.